Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, this is Rich Ladder here. We are across the street from MSG. NY, baby. New York City, Madison Square Garden. Hey, y'all boy, come on. Come yeah, on. man, Jeremy Donovan here from Keeping It Strong Style and Social Suplex. We're here with one half of the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. And one half of Gorillas of Destiny, but one whole of... I'm a motherfucking Tonga, realest of the realest. Hey, ain't nobody realer than Gorilla. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The Ace A podcast on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here Joined by the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will be reviewing both nights of Wrestling Dantaku, answering your questions, and of course, we will cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns at socialsuplex.com. Go to socialsuplex.com. Slash subscribe. It's time to get all of our podcasts and columns delivered directly to your email inbox. This episode of Keeping It Strong Style is brought to you by PowerSlam.tv. PowerSlam TV is an independent wrestling streaming service with over 4,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Use the promo code Social Suplex to get your first month free of that service. Also, make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store. ProSingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt as well as other t-shirts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. All right, young boy, it's our 75th episode of Keeping It Strong Style. We're a year and a half in this thing, man. It's bullshit. <laughs> like, literally... When you signed me to my exclusive contract with Keeping It Strong Style and the Social Suplex Podcast Network, there were great promises of reward. You told me that I was going to have fame. You told me that I was going to get paid a fortune. You said that there would be rats involved. None of that has come through. What, what's the deal? Well, you know, I, I don't always write the contracts up. You know, uh, Rich has had his hand writing some of those contracts up. I think maybe, maybe he uh, 
overpromise some things on, on your on your deal. Rich is um part head of uh, talent relations. RLS, Rich Latta Shyster. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, but yeah, man, uh, trying to get all of us over here, you know. You're trying to get us paid. Yeah, I'm trying to get everybody paid. You, you got you got a plan in place because. Dude, we give so much benefit and so much great content to all of our fans for free. No paywall. We give you guys these shirt gimmicks. We give you guys this awesome free month of independent wrestling. We give you the hottest takes in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And what about me? What about the young boy? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, this has been so freaking awesome. It's... Uh, it's crazy, man. Seventy-five episodes in, we've been doing this, you know, over over a year. Yeah, we're like a year and a half almost. Yep. Man, time is flying by. And um, thank you guys for listening. If you're a new listener and this is your first time listening, thank you. For those of you that have been sticking with us, we appreciate you know the support. But uh, definitely go give us a rating and review, and uh, buy our shirts and buy our merch and uh, <laughs> <laughs> help us get over. Help us get over like the young bucks. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> But, you know, speaking of uh, social suplex contracts, we do have some uh, social suplex business to take care of at the start of this show. Um, so we have a new member joining the social suplex crew. Are they a real member? Are they getting a shirt? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I do want to get this person a shirt. Um, this is somebody who's on this show, Amy Euler, better known as at PhoenixNJPW on Twitter. She's a part of the Social Suplex team. She will be appearing on All Things Elite. That's our uh, AEW podcast hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. Uh, right now, um, she will be appearing on that show every other week. Um, you know, Amy has a lot of other uh, commitments. And, you know, hopefully in the future we can get to do more of her. I'm also talking with her about getting some writing done on the website as well. Um, but yeah, uh, last week was her first episode with Floyd. They had great chemistry and they killed it. So go out and check out last week's um, All Things Elite to hear Amy and Floyd. Um, yeah, it's just... let, let me tell you something. That decision was not ran by me. And here's my problem with it. Why does Floyd get Amy? Why don't we have Amy on this program? That's what <laughs> I want to know. We, she could literally be one of the three musketeers, the three musketeers of, of keeping a strong style. Yeah, I mean, we, we could turn this into another six-man show. Uh, but, you know, Floyd, he, he's been doing, you know, the rotating host. Actually, Floyd's been building, like, a little elite stable for his podcast between him. He now has Amy, uh, Dave, um, Tiffany, and Issa. Floyd has a little a little power team growing down there, man. We've we both done a uh, little little spot shows, little excursion shows on uh, uh, all things elite. Yeah, we have. And uh, yeah, I I love that show. It's I, I, in a way, it feels kind of like a baby to me. So I'm so glad to see it kind of like taking off. And you know, it was just this idea that was kind of born out of nothing. And then now, like we've got these incredible you know individuals who were not part of our podcast network that we you know, admired from afar, and now they're both part of it, part of the Social Suplex family, so yeah, I'm really excited, and I gotta say, you you literally cannot have a more positive two people doing a wrestling podcast. <laughs> yeah, as I was talking to Floyd about this, and he was telling me, you know, how well the recording went, and I was like, dude, I can't wait to listen, I was like, this is gonna be the most positive podcast on the internet. <laughs> yeah, the power of positivity. Yes. <laughs> Who used to say that? That's uh, New Day. Oh, that's New Day, yeah. yeah. Uh, see, I don't even watch the show. I just, like, I, I can't even remember, like, 
who said that. But um, yeah, man, they uh, for all you jaded wrestling fans and people who are tired of hearing the negative takes and all the uh, you know negative talk that that just floods the airwaves and all these different podcasts and all the Twitterverse and all the different wrestling groups. Like, there are not two more positive people than Floyd Johnson and Amy Euler. So, yeah, they're going to do a great job, and um, glad to have her on. Yeah, glad to have her on board. Like I said, hoping we'll get some uh, more stuff from her in the future. So. Better than Rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so. Uh, this is Jeremy Donovan's social suplex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, let's, you know, get to business here because we have a lot to cover. There are a lot of questions, a lot of uh, first-time uh, question askers here, and so I want to make sure question askers, yeah, questionnaires, questionnaires. I want to make sure we have time to answer everybody's question, give you a full review of both nights of wrestling, Don Taku, and cover the news. We we always have enough time. You know why? Because we own the network, <laughs> and we can go as long as we want. <laughs> Oh, man. We booked this shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let's start with uh, Wrestling Don Taku Night 1. Uh, so action kicked off here at the Fukuoka Convention Center. We had uh, Tomioka Hanma, Shota Umino, and Ren Narita defeating the team of Toa Hanare, Yota Suji, and Yuya Uemura. What do you think about this one? I thought that this was a pretty good open. Um, I, I really dug a lot of the energy. I mean, we talk about it all the time. I mean, the Young Lions being in the opening act. I mean, when was the last time you saw a bad Young Lion match? Right. I mean, these guys, like we mentioned all the time, they go out there and, you know, they're, um, they just kill it, man. They're, they're trying to show that they're, you know, ready to go on excursion. They're ready to, you know, move on to the next stages. And they're always going out there. I feel like they're always trying to one-up each other um, in their performances, which is always great. And, like, like any Young Lion match, this was a great, uh, solid opener here. Yeah, solid three-star affair. Um, everybody looked great here, especially Umino, Narita, Suji, and Yumura. Um, yeah, um, in this match, we, we kind of saw something similar in uh, previous matches where Suji was kind of um, kind of the being, Ricky Morton yeah the face in peril yeah being in peril um, as they kind of worked him over that's kind of a it, and it's always kind of strange to me to see that just the the fact that he's like the largest of the young lions right now but you know he is you know junior to Umino and Narita so it does make sense but mm-hmm. it's funny to see him in that role and not so much Yumura but I gotta tell you Suji is great at selling yeah yeah. He's great. And we mentioned this before, either last week or a couple weeks ago, I think it's great that regardless of size, they put you in different scenarios, and I think it's great that they're working on Suji selling now, so by the time he goes on excursion and gets his gimmick, like he's going to be a great seller, and that's going to help him just be a better wrestler overall. Now, not to spend too much time on this, because I, I will tell you, even though I thought this was very solid, it wasn't blow away by any means or a super memorable opener. There was a couple things I liked, but... um. What are your thoughts, and we talk about it pretty often, but what are your thoughts on Hanma and Hanare in this matchup? And and just, I guess they're placed in New Japan right now. Yeah, so, start with Hanma. Um, you know, since returning from the neck injury, I feel like, you know, he's pretty much like New Japan dad status, pretty much. Pretty much. He's been, you know, he's always in these opening matches or, you know, mid-card matches, teaming with Young Lions, or he's teaming with, like, Taguchi Japan or Sekigun guys. 
Um, and you know, not really. I mean, he, he kind of does his spots. He gets the Kakeshi spots in. Yeah. Um, they usually get the heat on him, and you know, I think he, he's serving that role perfectly fine. Um, I, I will say, I know that when you you were watching New Japan when Hama was around, but you weren't watching it as die like as fervently or as religiously as you do now. So I know like your exposure to him pre-injury is a little more limited, I'd say, right? Yeah, very limited. Honestly, like I don't think I've I've really seen a hud of like a, a you know, a solid Hanma match. Um, you, you need to watch what you need to watch is Hanma versus Ishii, which I know you, obviously is no surprise, <laughs> but yeah, their match is insane, but there was a time where Hanma was like literally one of the most over acts in New Japan Pro Wrestling and it Hanma is Hanma Mania. Hanma Mania was a real thing. And he would go through these G ones and get nothing but losses. Like he was the perennial loser, but mm-hmm. every match was fantastic. Very similar to like Nagata's run through the G one mm-hmm. a couple years ago. Except for Hanma was like obviously Hanma's a deathmatch guy. Like a lot of people don't know that, you know, but Hanma comes from like the deathmatch circuit. I mean, just look at his forehead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that's his background, um, you know, and a lot of his indie stuff, it took him forever to get signed into New Japan and to become a, uh, you know, full-time member and all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, r- his injury came right at the, the tail end of his, you know, best run of his career. Um, and obviously, he's never going to be what he was before. But I will say this. Since he's returned, there was a time where every episode we were talking about how scared we were, how terrible he was looking, and he is a shell of what he was before, and he'll he'll probably never be that again. But I don't feel as fearful watching him. You can definitely tell that there's been marked improvement and strides in his wrestling ability since returning, which is a good thing. Yeah. The the only one thing that still kind of you know bothers slash worries me is when he misses the Kokeshi. Kokeshi. Whether it be just standing, flying, or off the top rope, it's like you're coming back from a neck injury. I think yeah. the, the last thing you want to do is like headbutt maneuvers, diving headbutts. So anytime he does it and misses, that, that still kind of worries me. But besides that, I think he has been looking better. There was a time on this show where we were talking about how he shouldn't be in the ring. He was looking dangerous, looking unsafe clearly having issues with his arms and a lot of that seems to have gone by the wayside. I don't know how much longer he can keep this up, but the fact that he was able to come back from such a, you know, career threatening injury and then to still be able to do what he enjoys and loves and entertain the fans. That's an awesome thing. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about Hanare, man. So we're, we're, you know, over a year and a half from, we started this podcast right around the time when Hanare ended. Well, we started what with, uh, World Tag League? Yeah, World Tag League 2017. So, so he had just returned. He was still a young lion. And then starting at the New Japan Rambo, he came in with the gimmick. And then about six months in, he started, you know, this huge feud, this mini card under, you know, undercard feud with Ishii. And it looked like they were going to, he was poised and pressed to be pushed, you know, to some degree. But since I would say it really became prominent around World Tag League this year. That he wasn't going to be, like, getting pushed and there was nothing for him. And he was trying to work his way into these storylines where he was going to be the new member of Great Bash Heel and try to reform that with Makabe. And that never came about. And it's starting to feel like in these Young Lions matches that he is getting passed up by the likes of Umino and Narita. And I would say even, like, 
Suji and Yamura. Like, it kind of feels like they're surpassing him in terms of wrestling ability, star power, and they they haven't gone on excursion or anything yet. Right. Yeah, Hanara, he, he's kind of been in a, a standstill since the Ishii feud. Um, you know, like you mentioned. He did have the C-block stuff with uh, David Finley. Dave Finley. Um, but that really never went anywhere either. Yeah, that was kind of something, like you mentioned, they kind of did on their own, get themselves over. They had him job to uh, to Trent. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, man, I, I really think Hanare, he needs an excursion. He, he never They never did an excursion with him. Um, I think he needs to go away. He needs to go somewhere else, pick up a different style, a new gimmick, and then come back completely made over. I know not everybody can be a top guy. You know, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Everybody right. has their role. And, you know, you look at a guy like, say, Ishii. We were discussing this in the group chat today, and it took him years before they put him into a prominent role, which might have even been short-sighted with how great Ishii is. Mm-hmm. But it seemed to be that the company was really behind Hanare a year ago. Like, they were, like, pushing him and getting him prepared for something. And for something just seems to not be clicking or not be connecting. You know, he seems less over with the crowd, less over in his... I don't know if it's just the booking... Or if it's actually him, um, right? Because I mean, I, I think he's a solid worker. I mean, when he when he's in the ring, he looks good. Uh, but he looked better before, don't you feel yeah, like? Yeah, like I feel like he had more fire. He had more fire. Do you feel like maybe injury or maybe he's gotten discouraged? I don't know what it is. Right. I mean, he like you. I mean, he's been kind of slotted in these opening matches, often against young lions, or he's teaming with Hanma, or teaming with Makabe. I mean. The Ishii stuff was like his his highest profile thing that he's really done. Yeah. Um. So maybe yeah, maybe he is discouraged. Maybe he doesn't feel like going all out if he's gonna be you know eight minutes, nine minutes in with Young Lions. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was worth discussing. So we'll move on to the finish here. But the team of uh, Tomeoki, Hanma, Umino, and Narita end up defeating Hanare, Suji, and Yuya Yamura. Um, towards the end, it ended up being Yumora and Narita in the ring together. There was a really incredible um, sequence of, of moves where Yuya Yumora wound up with a uh, Fujiwara armbar, and mm-hmm. Narita kept trying to roll out of it, and Yumora kept cranking on it, yeah, and really creating the the like uh, perception that he might be able to get an upset submission victory over you know the senior Narita, mm-hmm. uh, but it wound up not happening. Um, match ended up breaking down, and Narita hit the overhead bridging suplex. For the one, two, three, good opener, lots of good energy down the stretch. Uh, exactly what you'd expect from the Young Lions and, and this group of guys. Yeah, I gotta say, man, I'm really loving Narita's uh, bridging belly-to-belly suplex. Um, you know, a lot of finishers in pro wrestling in general and in New Japan, usually there's some kind of setup or, you know, some kind of... This comes from out of nowhere. Yes, yeah, out literally, RKO, out of nowhere, belly-to-belly, yeah. belly, out of nowhere, and it's just awesome. It comes out of nowhere, I agree. boom, hits it. Uh, and then it's over, and it's awesome. I think it's my favorite Young Lion finisher in the past few years. I like it better than, um, who was the jacked guy? How did I forget his name? Uh, wow, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Kitamura. Kitamura. I like it better than Kitamura's jackhammer. I like it better than the Trouble in Paradise that uh, Kawada was using for a while there. Um, I like it better than the um, jump. Oh, the fisherman? That, uh, I like it better than the fisherman that Umino, that, that Umino uses. And I like it better than the... Um, um, Oka was using that 
that jumping up and down uh, Boston Crab for a while, and I like it better than that. Mm. I think it's one of the most impressive moves in New Japan right now, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very few guys could do what he's doing. It's it's awesome. And we have a question here about Narita. Nice. Um, from Reddit user Jesus Las Vegas. He says... That's, he- that's Jesus Las Vegas. <laughs> get, uh, it, get it right. He says, uh, where do you see Ren Narita's future? Too tall for a New Japan junior and too skinny for a heavyweight. Maybe as a heel version of Yano. Boy, there's there's these things called steroids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. When I was in... Um, when I was in New York last month and we were at the GCW show, um, Phil Baroni, the, the, the New York badass, he had the opening match of the uh, Bloodsport show and he got on the mic and he was like, I'd like to thank my official sponsors, steroids! <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this, this fool. But um, I actually don't think he's too big to be a junior and I don't think he's too small to be a heavyweight either. Um, I would imagine, just personally, they'll probably start him out as a junior. But yeah. uh, but they could go either way. I, yeah, I feel with his current build, um, yeah, he would definitely start off in the junior division. Um, and you say, you know, too tall. I mean, later on we'll talk about El Fantasmo. He's a pretty tall dude. Osprey's uh, kind of tall for Is Dorita that tall? Uh, I don't even know. I feel like because he's so skinny, he look, he probably looks a little bit lankier. He definitely is. I'm looking it up. This is why we need a pr- producer. He's only six foot. Yeah. So, I mean, he's shorter than me, and I feel like I could be a junior. I feel like I'd be a fantastic junior. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I definitely see him at the junior role. I don't see him being a heel Yano. Uh, honestly, I could see him being in Suzuki-Goon. Bro, and being when, a dastardly heel. When when I look at his face, he reminds me a lot of Taichi. The way Taichi looked when he was a young lion, um, very similar. Like he just kind of has that face that you want to punch. Yeah, you know. To me, so, sometimes some of his expressions remind me of Suzuki. Like so that's he, true too. When he gets fired up and gets angry, he kind of does look like a like a, a younger Minoru Suzuki. Oh, speaking of which, um, shout out to friend of the show Zach Porter. What up, Zach? I know you're listening. Uh, he blessed me recently with uh, Pancrase 95 Eyes of the Beast Tour shirt for Minoru Suzuki. I was definitely sporting that at work. Uh, felt kind of weird to have a half-naked man on my t-shirt. <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't feel weird in normal life, but then I was walking around. Like, I work in a very professional setting, and I'm walking around with Minoru Suzuki on my shirt. Luckily, it's Minoru Suzuki, so l- nobody from work is going to say anything about it. <laughs> they don't want the smoke. <laughs> they don't want it. I will gotcha pile drive them uh, with no hesitation. But one thing uh, to speak to this question, and then we'll move on. You know, um, when evil... What, when he was Watanabe, and when he was actually pretty small uh, before he came back, and when they sent him overseas, they said gain weight, and he was barely used in all Japan, or in uh, all Jersey Pro. He was barely used in ROH. Like he didn't do much on his excursion at all. But what was this guy doing? He was getting jacked. <laughs> he was getting ripped. Vascular. He's huge. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was building size, and that was they saw they thought that he had the frame, which evidently so. Look at him now, mm-hmm. and when he came back, he looked like an entirely different person. So that's there is a precedent where they could be asking him to do that. So, um, but I do see him as being a heel. Like I don't, he does not have the face of a lovable of a lovable you know baby face or a technico. 
Uh, let's just say he's not, you know, Rick Steamboat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's uh, move on to the next match. We have Minoru Suzuki, uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, El Esperado, and Taka Michinoku defeating the team of Jushin Thunder Liger, Yoshihashi, Risuke Taguchi, and Tiger Mask. Should we make a joke about our surprise that Suzuki Goon attacked before the bell, or should we just keep it a buck here? I mean, uh, Kevin Kelly always does his little gimmick with Hanma every time. So what, what does he say when Hanma pulls the little the hat off? He's like, "Hey, it's Hanma!" <laughs> Literally every time, every single time, every road to show, every show since Hanma's been wearing the little hat gimmick, he pulls it off. Hey, it's Hanma! So that's we, funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> so we can do our, you know, surprise. Suzuki Goon attacked before the bell. Now I'm gonna. I'm going to actually do a gimmick this week where I treat you like you're stupid and be like, come on, they do this every single match, Jeremy. You didn't know they were going to do this? Pay attention. We need to have more of a Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon-like element, and then you need to correct me a lot and just be like... Well, well I mean, we already have a, a face-heel alignment going. Who, if you were, if you could be any, like, uh, you know, face play-by-play guy, who would you be? Who's your favorite? Man, that's hard. That's tough. Oh, man, I mean, you got you got good old Jr. All time, all time. Who's the best for you? Who do you like? Oh, man, that's that's a tough question, man. I don't know if I have the answer to that right now. Oh man, come on, bro. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. Dude, I, I love you know I love Jr. when he's in his prime. I loved uh, Professor Mike Tenay. I like yeah. Tony Schiavone. Mm. And that's a kind of a controversial thing because he put out a lot of bullcrap during his <laughs> Nitro years. But yeah, Tony—I was never a huge Tony Giovanni guy. I um, kind of think Kevin Kelly is getting up there as being one of the all-time greats. Dude, now. Um, you know who is the all-time great right now? That's Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette is so great. Uh, you know, I hate the sidetrack, but yeah, I've been watching. You know, I've been watching MLW. He's been on the commentary lately, and also I watched the Crockett Cup this weekend. He was on the commentary for that. He was fantastic. How was the Crockett Cup, by the way? It was good. It was a solid show. I would definitely recommend going out of the way to watch it. If you have Honor Club, it's on the Honor Club. I got to tell you, like, growing up, I had the cassette tape, which is worth a bunch of – actually, it's a double cassette tape uh, collection. It's worth a bunch of money now, and I lost it, and I, mm. I'm i kicking myself. But it was, uh, it was like the holy grail for tape traders and collectors. It was the best of Starcade, 83 to 87, and – they used the exact same uh, era, like um, matting for the Crockett Cup, the blue, the classic blue mat with the yellow, just simple NWA right in the middle. And then they had the retro Ring of Honor logo on the side apron, which is so much better than any logo they've ever had before. Yeah, I loved the presentation. I liked the scoreboard in the back. That the the like or whatever you want to call it, the, the Titantron, the Titantron in the back. It, but I think it was hyperimposed on a scoreboard. It looked awesome. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, overall solid show. The main event, Allison Scroll, was a great match. Um, you know, Nick Aldis. I've never really been a fan of his, but he he's been coming through in a lot of these big main events. You know, all in with Cody, the rematch of Cody's 70th anniversary. Now this match with Marty Scurll. Um, they had Juice. They had technical wrestling. You know they, how I feel, dude. About the, I feel about like the Cody Aldis match. I feel like you would really have loved this Crockett Cup show. I mean, with the presentation. The matches, you know, Magnum TA, Tully Blanchard, Medusa, uh, they they had a lot of great past and present. It was a solid show. Remember when I made you watch 
uh, Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like that match? Wait, well, the, the one where it's the... Uh, it's the the, double, the, the the Steel Cage I Quit match from Starcade 85. It's like a top five. Okay, I'll think about another match. It's like a top five yeah. 80s match of all time. Yeah. yeah, that was a solid match. But let's move on. Uh, so anyways, this, uh, this match was fine. Um, I think, uh, obviously, we've been talking about it, you know, all throughout the Dantaku tour. The Liger-Suzuki pairing, the feud between these two guys, the heat between them, going back to their match in Pancrase in the early 2000s. And um, they've continued to build that throughout this match. Um, It took a while for them to kind of face off. And when they finally did, the crowd was so hot for it. Yeah, um, you know, Liger, or excuse me, Suzuki got Liger into a cross arm breaker. And, uh, you know, he got, Liger got to the ropes, but the uh, the ref had to pull Suzuki off. Like, he did not want to let go of the arm breaker. He attacked the arm almost exclusively all throughout the match. It seems that he's found a vulnerability and a target. And he's looking to expose that. He also continued um, towards the end of the match to uh, expose that arm and to um, attack it on the outside and wrenching on it while it was over a guardrail and just being super nasty and being, you know, exactly, you know, who uh, <laughs> who Minoru Suzuki is at yeah. all times. But I think the real, the big, the biggest news is the finish of this match. Taka. He pinned Tiger Mask with the Michikinoku driver. Yes. It's the first time I've seen Taka get a win in a long time. And I can't remember the last time I saw him do a uh, a Michinoku driver. And um, all I got to say is infidelity pays. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, You know, he's going to be in Best of the Super Junior. so That's what this is about. Yeah, they're trying to heat him up, make him look credible going into that tournament. You know what that indicates to me, though? What's that? He got a win here. That means he might get that old man run. He might mm. get that that he, the the tiger mask run last year. The tiger mask run. He might get get a little bit of a of a early start here. So for those of you who will be joining us in the keeping it strong style best of the super juniors pick'em contest, which we do annually, keep that in mind. Yeah, I'm, th- and, and I'm throwing you a little. Speaking I'm, of the contest, I think I found a, a an even easier way to manage that thing and the calculations and all that stuff. So stay tuned for that. We're all about efficiency and ease of use when it comes to uh, these things because y'all be sending a lot of brackets in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this match ended, like we mentioned, with the Michinoku driver. Taka picks up the win here. And after the match, um, Suzuki continued to wrench on um, uh, Liger's arm and all the guys from Suzuki Goon continued to attack Tiger Mask until you know his partners came in and make the save. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, on the outside... Uh, Suzuki began to attack. Shota Umino put him into a, a Kimura. And as they were leaving, Liger was walking up the ramp. And um, Suzuki grabs a chair from the audience. Then Liger grabs a chair. and then they're, Yeah, they're like facing off the chairs. Yeah. Yeah, and it was pretty heated. Nothing really came of it. But um, yeah, so it, it does seem to be that we're going to continue with this somewhere down the line. I'm just still wondering when we're going to get the payoff, basically. Yeah. Possibly best of Super Junior Finals, June fifth. That would be a fitting place for Liger to have a big career match on what is his uh, retirement, you know, retirement yeah. you know, tour. So that would make a lot of sense to me. That's definitely a show that could be bolstered. Also, Dominion is another possibility. True. So next we had the team of Will Osprey, Togi Makabe, and Toriyano defeating the team of Tamatunga. Tamatonga, Tangaloa, and Hikaleo, the sons of Haku. 
And we are one year um, removed from the debut of the Bullet Club Kimonos, which means we are one year removed from the inception of our joke about getting these young boy kimonos. <laughs> yeah. Where are my young boy kimonos? That's another promise that you made to me, Jeremy. And they still has, as of yet, been, they, they are not been delivered on. You know, Prosting Tees, they, they don't they don't carry uh, kimonos right now. You know, I'll put in a word with Ryan, see if we can make something work Whatever out. Whatever it takes. Whatever has to happen. We, we're we going to get, even if it's just me, I want to walk around this apartment, walk around this dojo with my kimono. <laughs> But yeah, all the can, bo- can you just see me walking around with a kimono and a kendo stick and just like being a G? Actually, I I think I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, all the members of Bullet Club were rocking the kimono, celebrating the you know the birth of the Bullet Club. Um, all the members, including guest commentary, Juice Juicy Gino <laughs> Gambino. <laughs> Actually, uh, our boy Sir Sam from LOP. Tweeted out a picture of uh, Gambino in the Bullet Club kimono and say, "Young boy, the proof is right there." You know I'm not on that gimmick. I know that's why I'm bringing it up right now. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Sir Sam, you don't know anything. <laughs> and I'm pretty. Is, is Sir Sam in the uh, Ricky and Clive Invitational tournament? Uh, I he, believe he is. He, I think he is. We'll, we'll be meeting down the line, sir. <laughs> but um, yeah, actually, you know, fun fact. Um, a lot of people talk about May 3rd being the birth of the Bullet Club. You know, how many years ago? Six years ago, 2013? Yeah. Okay. One thing many people don't know, on the same date, Suzuki-gun was born. Mm. Mm, but that's a little less uh, celebrated. We don't we don't get these uh, Suzuki-gun kim- uh, kimonos. These guys are all about, you know, the business, all about the fight, all about getting paid. They're, they don't have to celebrate themselves by... Buying froofy little kimonos every time they have an anniversary, but um, they're in in all seriousness, their kimonos are kind of dope. I kind of want one. <laughs> yeah, they really need to sell those. Uh, I'm surprised they haven't yet. I'm surprised yeah. too. That's because they don't have the young bucks and and Cody and them. Uh, yeah, you know the merch machines. Well, those guys are just. It's a t-shirt company at this point. What? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about this because this match was really almost nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, nothing special here. I mean, if you've been watching the Road 2s and Wrestling Hino Kuni, pretty much the same stuff you've seen in the Never Six Man title match and the, the tag title match. I mean, the highlight in this match was Will Ospreay, obviously. He makes all these guys look great. And Are are Yano and Makabe the Never Six Man champions right now, or is it uh, Tamatanga Tangaloa? No, Makabe, Yano, okay. and Taguchi, they successfully defended against Sons of Haku. You can see... Uh... How much I keep up with with you know that that lineage, <laughs> but um, I will say, and we 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 brought it up last week. And we've been talking about it, and I think it's worth mentioning. Hikaleo is looking really really good, looking very improved, and continues to impress. Uh, the star of this match obviously was Will Osprey. He was the, the the guy that you know just continued to impress. You know as he's done all year here, and he was phenomenal in this match. Yeah, he got the Oz cutter on Hikaleo to get the win for his team. Yep. So next up, we had the team of Kota Ibushi, Sho, and Yo defeating the team of Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Bushi. Yeah, this match was uh, very good. We've seen uh, this. Have we seen this exact same matchup already on this tour or no? I feel uh, like we have. I feel, I'm pretty sure we have. 
Um, the story of this match, though, was essentially Sho and Yo and Bushi and Shingo. Mm-hmm. Naito and Ibushi were definitely there, and they continued to build to their upcoming singles match, but they didn't have a lot of interaction or a lot of um, you know time spent in the ring here. Most of the work was carried by Sho, Yo, and Bushi and Shingo, although we did get a very interesting interaction between Ibushi and Shingo on this match. Sign me up. For Shingo as a heavyweight. I need Shingo versus Ibushi. I need Shingo versus Osprey. Shingo versus Ishii. Shingo versus Sonata. Shingo versus the world. Dude, Shingo, when he's in there, man, I know we've been saying it every week now, but he just dominates. He wrecks these dudes. Like, I want to see this guy push to the moon. Now that you're much more familiar with Shingo, do, does Anything about this past year make you want to go back and watch his Champions Carnival run last year? Yes, I want to watch Champions Carnival. I want to watch Ebola, uh, all his PWG stuff. Like, any Shingo I can get my hands on now, like, I want to see. You know there's a Brian Danielson-Shingo match out there. There is. Oh, man. Yeah, it's great. And also, you know, him and... um. I believe he's wrestled Roderick Strong, and oh. he. I think him and Johnny Gargano. I'm a, I'm have a, a big, match. I'm a big Roddy Mark, so I got to see. I got my hands on that one too. Him, him and Gargano have a match from uh, Dragon Gate USA. Like, yeah, there's a whole phase of his career. I mean, oh, Dragon Gate USA chicken. can use the uh, my evolve gimmick. You're still, you're still paying for that. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> um, but let me ask you this, okay? If you had to make a choice, and this is you, there's no in between. Mm-hmm. Only one of these guys can be in the G1 this year, Shingo. Or Will Ospreay? What are you oh, gonna? Oh, <laughs> dude, that that's that's dirty, man. What would you do? Oh, who are you taking? Bro, that's dirty. You're only one's allowed to be in it, and and let, let's not talk about like real world because we know obviously Will Ospreay is gonna be in the G1, but just talking from a fan perspective and match, you know, uh, the p- perspective matchups. Who would you rather see in a G1, Shingo or Will Ospreay? Man, that is that's very tough, man. But I, I think. I think I'll have to go Shingo. Mark. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> that's that. No, that's great. Um, but yeah, this match was uh, very, very good. Uh, it's you know another iteration of the match th- that we've seen in one form or another all throughout this tour. But it d- it continued to deliver. Um, but um, ultimately, we get the win here. Um, Bushi comes in with a missile drop kick and a DDT for two uh, on show. Yo cuts him off with a dragon screw. Abushi tags in, runs wild. He hits the power slam and a moonsault for two. Naito comes in and makes the save, but Abushi hits the double Pele. Bushi and Abushi are battling back and forth, and Abushi hits Bushi with a Bamaye knee and a Kamagoye to finish this match. Yeah, he he wrecked um, Bushi with that knee. He laid it in a little bit harder than he <laughs> normally would. Something about something about Bushi makes people want to uh, lay their stuff in a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, you know, this match, the interactions with uh, Sho and Shingo were great. Between Bushi and Naito were great. Really looking forward to seeing the eventual Sho and uh, Shingo one-on-one matchup. I'm still looking forward to Abushi and Naito. And post-match, Abushi. Uh, you know, tries to say he wants to make the title match with Naito official, and Naito teases him uh, and says tomorrow, and then leaves. Yeah. So that brings us to the next match: uh, the IWGP US Champion Juice Robinson teaming up with Hiroki Goto and Mad Mikey Nichols to defeat the Bullet Club team of Switchblade, Jay White, the Rogue General, Bad Luck Fale, 
and uh, the crown jewel Chase yeah, Owens. Crown jewel Chase Owens. Yeah, so Gato came out with the Bullet Club, and um, this match was fine. It was a solid tag match. Um, you know, it was kind of nice to see the faces get some comeuppance here and get a get a little bit of a win, especially considering that Jay White had beaten Goto on this tour. Um, but ultimately, it was kind of an unmemorable affair. Yeah, I mean, they pretty much kind of wrapped the bow on the Juice-Chase Owens rivalry. Juice um, hit Owens with the Pulp Friction to get the win for his team. But the biggest uh, story here is what happened after the match. We got a teaser video um, for a wrestler that seems to have his eyes set on Juice Robinson and potentially the IWGP US Championship. Um, the video says he will be debuting on June 5th, which is the best of the Super Junior Finals at Sumo Hall. Um, you know, a lot of rumors going around who this potentially could be. Um, all signs are kind of pointing to Chris Brooks from Rev Pro. And if you watch the promo video, the, the guy in the bar has a British flag on his uh, leather jacket. A Union Jack, mate. Mm-hmm. And uh, also some of the, the wording and like uh, graphics were similar to like, a Chris Brooks t-shirt. And, you know, it was just by coincidence that same day they uploaded the Chris Brooks match from RevPro, the whole RevPro show actually from New York. I saw that, which that means that you get to relive what I lived live and in person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I really, I thought this video package was very well produced. I thought it was cool. Um who, whoever this mystery man is, he was uh, carrying a knife, but the knife had a spiked knuckle um, handle, so mm -hmm. he, he can do damage. He can punch you with the spikes. He can cut you. Um, so apparently he's a knife pervert too. Yeah. Just like uh, good old Jay White. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he had a Union Jack on his, um, on his coat. And they kept talking about time being up, and they kept showing an hourglass, and this individual was – drawing an hourglass or carving an hourglass into a bar uh, a bar top with his knife and then he proceeded to break a um, beer bottle a beer bottle so this man's walking around a bar with a giant knife and a beer bottle I'm surprised that a bouncer didn't throw him out or say anything <laughs> to him but um, I really like the aesthetic of somebody breaking a beer bottle it brings me back to my Streets of Rage day Sega Genesis 1990 <laughs> I think this one like it's one of my favorite like weapons to use in that game. Yeah. But um, by the way, Streets of Rage 2 is vastly superior to Streets of Rage. Also, they have a, a, a faux Ultimate Warrior in that game that you get to fight in an underground cage match, which is pretty <laughs> cool. But um, yeah, we don't know who this guy is, but like you said, all the rumors uh, point to the fact that it probably is going to be Chris Brooks. Yeah. Um, I think that's a pretty cool signing. Uh, we've talked quite a bit with the um, current you know, climate in wrestling and all the people, you know, jumping ship and asking for the releases and getting signed by all these different companies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the indies kind of being depleted. When When is New Japan going to get in the game? And it seems to be that they're not really – well, I don't know if they've gone after any big names, but it seems to be that they're signing mostly um, indie talent that's a little bit lesser known, maybe guys that they can help make. Right, yeah. Um, we have a bunch of questions here. Uh, first quick question about LIJ from our boy, uh, Undoubtedly Dean. Jack Undoubtedly Dean. Dean. Um, he says, once Hiromi returns, how do you think LIJ will operate in 10-man tags? Who do you think would be left out? Well, I think that they should start instituting 12-man tags. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I would be down with um, you know Lij twelve man tag. Um, you know, honestly, I think the the easy answer would be to you know tell Bushi to you know stay stay in the back. <laughs> Have Hiromu take a spot in those ten men's. I I think it's pretty simple answer. I mean, we've got big groups like you know the Bullet Club and like Suzuki Goon and Chaos who continue to rotate out their members for ten man tags, and I yeah. think that they'll just do that. And it depends on. What kind of feuds different individuals are in, and the great thing with Lij is any one of their members can be involved in any sort of tag or singles feud at any given moment. Exactly, and you can either utilize the ten man tag to build to those matches, or you can um, have one of those guys off fighting for a junior title or fighting for a never belt while the other guys are involved in multi man matches. So I don't think it's that you know complicated. We we know how all the other um, Factions and and groups operate, so I assume mm-hmm. it would be the same. Then, question from our man Rambone Slam Pig. Um, he said, "Any word on who the new wrestler with the biker video is?" We just kind of covered that. Um, all signs are leading to Chris Brooks. Um, it's Hiromu. <laughs> Times up. The ticking time bomb is coming back. Oh man! And he'll stab you this time. <laughs> Um, next question comes from um, our man Imp from LOP at the damn Implicat on Twitter. Implications. Um, he says NJPW is going on a lanky white fella signing rampage. Which one's attacking Juice then? What's the question? He said he said NJPW is going on a lanky white fella signing rampage. Which one's attacking Juice then? Again, we Chris Brooks. We think it's Chris Brooks. I mean. I, honestly, I really haven't heard many other names of who this could be. I did hear somebody try to th- say it was Oka. Um, that would actually be interesting. I just don't. I feel. I just feel like the skin tone of the hand looked a little bit light. Maybe it's the lighting in the bar and the video. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, but well, that's true. He was in Rev Pro. It's Kawato. Good. No, it, I mean, obviously, I think the big key indicator is this person's wearing a Union Jack. Oka is over in Rev Pro now, so it could hypothetically be him. But, um, you know, almost everybody is saying that it's Chris Brooks. Right, and he's kind of like tweeted and retweeted some stuff about people kind of pointing signs to him. Yeah, apparently he was tweeting things and then had to kind of delete them. So the, that's the one thing is in the past, New Japan's been pretty good about bringing in surprise guys and it's hard to kind of figure out who they are but in mm. the current climate it's been pretty easy to figure out everyone knew that El Fantasma was coming in and hey, pretty yeah. much everybody knows Chris Brooks is coming in yeah now. the El Fantasma thing was hilarious to me because the very first time they played the video Kevin Kelly was like I recognize that music I recognize that man it's El Fantasma and then the rest of the tour I wonder who this man is <laughs> <laughs> who could this new Bullet Club member be <laughs> Jeremy, you're not supposed to remember that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's all, all all signs point to Chris Brooks. Yeah, and so which I'm sure Imp and uh, Sir Sam, I'm, they're both from the UK, right? Yeah, no, Sir Sam's in uh, Australia. Australia, my bad. That that was racist of me. I apologize. <laughs> but um, you know, I know you said Imp's from the UK. Yeah. So I, I I would imagine he's probably familiar with you know Chris Brooks to some degree. We've seen Chris Brooks live. Yeah, pretty impressive guy. Very, very much like an indie riffic sort of performer. But yeah, I've seen his stuff in PWG. And he's uh, teamed with um, a guy that's coming into New Japan this month, uh, the Octopus, Jonathan Gresham. They're CCK. Yeah, 
Yeah, so that that makes sense. Um, so potentially the um, Chris Brooks or whoever this guy is could be challenging for the IWGP US Championship at the Best of Super Junior Finals. We have a question here from our man Muzza. He wants to know what other titles could you see being defended at the Best of Super Junior Finals? All the belts. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, so we, I don't. It doesn't look like they're building towards an IWGP title defense on that evening. Um, so maybe it's a possibility and would still make sense for them to do the IC title since that's the number two belt in the company. Um, the Never Championship is probably getting defended at what? Dominion? Um, I don't know. A date for that wasn't announced. I mean, we'll get to that. What? That's the, a possibility. Yeah. The U.S. title is, you know, looking to be... You know the likely likely defended there. I mean, um, we, we could always get never six man titles. We could get any combination of the tag titles, whether it's the juniors or well, probably depending I, on the outcome of the uh, of the tag league. Probably not the junior tags. Right. I wouldn't do the junior tags because that would kind of. I mean, you would you would literally have to announce it the day before because you don't want to give away show and yo not making it to the finals if they're not going to. And then you have no really bill for it. If I was going to make a prediction right now, I would say most likely they'll do the IC belt and the US belt. Uh, I don't think they're doing the IC belt based on what happened on night two. Okay. Uh, But we'll get to that in a second. Um, So yeah, so continue on. Uh, Night one, we move to Evil and Sanat. Defeating the team of Okada and Tomohiro Ishii. What do you think about this one? We had discussed on our preview last week. We anticipated that this would be a banger, and we were not disappointed. Really, really good match from all four men involved. Four of the best workers in the industry right now. Um, you know, I'm not always super high on Evil, and sometimes not so much Sonata, depending on the situation. But as a tag team, they got to be one of my favorite tag teams in the world right now. They always deliver when when called upon, and um, Okada and Ishii are Okada and Ishii, and they yeah. they continue to have great matches. And yeah, I loved this. Yeah, and I thought the interactions between Evil and Ishii were great in this match. It a really great job of getting you um, hyped up to see their one on one match the following day. I mean, they're just laying into each other with these um, forearm strikes and just. Trying to one-up each other the whole match. It was great. That was great. Um, obviously, the stuff between Okada and Sonata, um, just trading counters and you know going back and forth was really, really good as well. Plus, Evil and Okada had great interactions. Mm-hmm. They've got tons of history. Ishii's got history with Sonata and Evil. And I, I thought all four men worked very cohesively. Um, this was you know a high-octane 17-minute match, and it really delivered. Yeah, so um, towards the finish here, Evil and Sonata hit the magic killer on Ishii. Then Evil slaps in the Scorpion Deathlock um, signature move of Ricky Choshu, who helped train Tomohiro Ishii, very influential in his career. So locking on his uh, mentor's move on him. Um, Ishii was stuck in the hole for several minutes, or what it felt like, and then... uh, Okada tries to make the save, but Sonata gets him locked in the skull end. And then um, the ref had no choice but to stop the match because Ishii was stuck in the middle, couldn't get out. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it was not a submission. Ishii did not give up verbally or tap. Uh, Marty Asami stopped the match. It looked to me, if you want my honest opinion on that, 
it looked to me like he was giving the Mexican submission. Yeah, the, the, the little... He was giving the... You guys can't see it, but where you hold up your finger and you move it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's a submission. Whether they want to try and protect Ishii and say it was a uh, you know ref stoppage, I understand that that's the official. Mm-hmm. But I saw that man give the submission. I, I don't know if he was doing the Mexican thing or if he was shaking his hand. No, like I don't want to give up. Well, my answer to that would be this. He kept giving the no signal, which is a... Mm-hmm. Side to side finger, yeah, and then towards the end he did the forward finger, which would indicate a submission. So there might have been some sort of miscommunication there. They definitely tried to protect him, saying it was a doctor stop or a ref stoppage. But I'll tell you what, it looked like a submission to me, if if you're asking me. Mm. But uh, yeah, very very uh, really good storytelling at the very end there. Just like you alluded to the fact that um, you know Ricky Choshu, who trained and mentored Ishii you know, was the innovator and inventor of this move. And so to beat him with his mentor's move just added insult to injury. And, uh, yeah, really, really good stuff there. Plus, like, Sonata was, you know, putting Okada out and pretty much had a visual win over him as well. Yeah, and so um, the LIJ boys, they have momentum going into their big single matches for the second night of wrestling Dontaku. Um so then we have the never open weight championship match where we have uh, Tai Chi taking on Jeff Cobb. What did you think about this one? I thought it was great. Miho Abe was there. Yes, the return of the lovely Miho Abe. Always great seeing her on my TV screen. Yeah, so we got uh, Tai Chi out with Miho Abe. Um, as well as uh, seconded by Taka Michinoku and Kanemaru, um, all at ringside. Um, this match was, I think it delivered, but it definitely in the beginning had a lot of the kind of shenanigans that we've become accustomed to when it comes to Taichi. Yeah, a lot of uh, powdering, using Miho Abe as a human shield, um, having Kanemaru attack. yeah. Um, Jeff Cobb came off looking like a strong baby face, a very kind of reminiscent uh, performance to, you know, you kind of would get antics like this back in the 80s and early 90s. Anytime, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was Sting or whether it was Lex Luger, or any of these, you know, kind of bigger, stronger muscle men who would take on Ric Flair, they kind of had to contend with all the outside interference from the four horsemen. And in the early goings, Jeff Cobb, they, they definitely stole a page from that sort of match uh, setup because even a lot of those distractions didn't seem to deter Jeff Cobb. He looked like a man, you know, kind of determined, kind of brushing that stuff off, kind of trying to outsmart Taichi and get the upper hand. Um, but eventually the tactics did work and um, Taichi hit an eye rake on, on Jeff Cobb and, you know, started uh, kind of taking it to him and slowing things down in the, in the early goings of the match. Yeah, and um, one of my pet peeves... Uh, lately in wrestling happened in this match where Tai Chi, he got the stretch plum on Jeff Cobb and he let go of the hole to go for a pin. Mm. Uh, it, it's a, a pet peeve of mine. Like, I don't understand the logic of letting go of a submission hole to go for a pin. I get you want to say, oh, he's he's passed out so I, I can pin him for three seconds. But I'm like, or you, just, you hold him and get a ref stoppage. Well, playing devil's advocate, I see exactly what you're saying, and you know the MMA fan in me definitely agrees with you. What if the logic is that this 
like for instance, what if the person who's uh, you know applying the submission hold does isn't totally confident that they're going to win with the submission hold and is mm-hmm. trying to reserve their strength, so they try to pin them as like a temperature check. Gotcha. That's a possibility. That might be. I mean, that's just me. I don't want to sound like like one of these WWE fans trying to play de- <laughs> trying to play defense and and build logic where there's no logic. But that's one thing that kind of comes to mind. I do know this. Um, a lot of times in MMA, if you have a submission hold and you think it should be effective and work within a certain time period, um, you might change your tactic if it's not working. Like if you really can't sink it in as deep as you think you can, or something mm-hmm. like that. So. Um, it's not necessarily unheard of, you know what I mean? Right. But I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, it looked like he had he had it deep in on Jeff Cobb and then let right. go. Right, he had it locked in deep, like Cobb wasn't close to the ropes. It's like either he was going to tap out, pass out, or the ref was going to stop it. What are your thoughts about Taichi stealing his moveset from Kawada lately, taking the, the stretch plum and taking the Kawada kicks and trying to apply that to his arsenal? I mean, I think it's improved his matches. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. I, I know it's, it sounds like a joke, but I'm serious. Like with him implementing those moves, um, it makes him come off as a serious competitor. Like he's actually trying to win the match, and it increases the match quality. Well, there is some truth to that. I mean, a year ago we were talking about Taichi being pretty decent, but not necessarily having a, a heavyweight move set that would lead him to victory. And it seemed to be that 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 was kind of a story being told in a lot mm-hmm. of his matches. So. He has changed some things up recently, and that seems to be paying off in him having better matches than he was in the past, which is good here. Yeah. And uh, something else I noticed with Tai Chi in this match, um, you know, he was, like, kind of trying out multiple strategies to beat Cobb. Like we mentioned earlier, strategy number one was, you know, shenanigans, use suzuki Goon stablemates to get the distraction. Um, that didn't really work out. Cobb eventually came back. So strategy number two, for whatever reason, he thought it'd be a wise idea to try to outpower Jeff Cobb. He was trying to do some power moves, trying to hit his, his last ride powerbomb. That failed. And then his final strategy was kind of like what you mentioned, was go to the Kawada moves, go to the kicking, a lot of strike-based stuff. Yeah. that's a, that. That is an apt analysis, Jeremy Donovan. Only the best. <laughs> Only the best on keeping a strong style. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. That was exactly what he was trying to do. Um, how did you think Jeff Cobb came off in his response to all this? Do you think that he seemed to be like too singularly minded, just trying to hit a lot of power moves and, and use his brute strength throughout the match? Yeah, I mean, that, that seems to be his strategy going into all the matches. And it usually works for him. But, you know, like I mentioned, I think Tai Chi was kind of more the thinking man here and trying to mm. outmaneuver uh, Jeff Cobb. And, uh, but I think, you know, Cobb looked great here. Um, I loved he, he had a, a chopping clothesline combo that he does. That was cool. Pretty cool. And then I freaking marked out for the gut wrench combo. So he, he always does the kind of like 30 Amigos version of the gut wrench. But on the last gut wrench suplex, he popped Tai Chi up and po- gave him a pile driver. Yeah. I freaking popped for that. Yeah, that was awesome. I did not see that coming. Yep. So down the stretch, um, you know, Taichi locked in the stretch plum like we talked about. He covered for two. Um, Cobb kicked out. Cobb hit a rolling gut wrench suplex and a jumping pile driver, which we both popped for. Cobb gets to his feet, pulls Taichi up, and Cobb hits the swinging Saito suplex, which he just freaking leveled Taichi with that. Uh, Taichi ended up popping up, firing back up, and uh, hit him with kicks and the axe bomber. Both men are down again for a very dramatic you know, moment. 
Taichi gets up, fires up, but Cobb cuts him off with the lariat. They had an awesome interaction down the stretch here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Cobb cut him off with the lariat and a standing moonsault. Uh, the tour of the islands is countered into a cradle for two. Dude, that was a great near fall. That was I, a that was a uh, what a crucifix bomb? Is that what you call it? No, that was that was just like a roll up, pretty much. Okay, yeah. I, I, I thought he hit a crucifix bomb in this match, but actually, I'm thinking of a different match. Yeah, but he cradled him for two. The ref got distracted. He hits a low blow. The Gato clutch gets two, uh, which we've seen in many many of Taichi's matches before. But then after this, Taichi hits the super kick and the Black Mephisto for the one, two, three. Taichi defeats Jeff Cobb at 17 minutes 58 seconds and is the new never open weight champion of New Japan. Yeah, so, you know, I thought it was a solid match. I went three and a half on it. Um, I was a little bit disappointed that Jeff Cobb didn't retain. I thought that there was some more stuff to do with Cobb as the never open weight champion. I agree. But, I thought I thought they had more for him than than to transition the title back to Taichi. Right, I mean, he had the big win over Osprey at Madison Square Garden. Um, I was thinking, you know, that was a big win for Cobb. You know, they're going to do some more stuff with him. Maybe eventually, maybe a match with Ishii and some other, like, kind of standout never guys to kind of build that title up and build Jeff Cobb up. But I'm not really surprised that they went with Tai Chi. Tai Chi's a guy who they've been building over the last year and uh, pushing him in that kind of never division and more of a serious singles role. Well, on a, on a serious note and on a positive note, you know, the, you could say, oh, well, this was a failure. You know, he lost it in his first defense. This was his first defense, right? Yes. But, you know, let's keep it in perspective. Ultimately... You know, Jeff Cobb is a borrowed talent who is pretty much signed with Ring of Honor. Him being able to hold the claim of beating Will Ospreay in Madison Square Garden to be a simultaneous champion between both companies is a great claim. Him holding his first singles belt in New Japan Pro Wrestling, excuse me, establishes him as a top-level guy in the company regardless of the fact that he lost the belt here um, and sets him up for big things down the road you know, regardless of the fact, but ultimately Taichi is their 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 guy. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's a New Japan talent that's signed there. Like you said, they've been building him up for quite a while now. And um, you know, who would you rather have seen drop the belt to him? Would you rather have seen Will Ospreay, you know, uh, defend and lose to Taichi, or does it make more sense for Jeff Cobb to kind of be that that in between guy? Um, so I think everybody kind of benefits here. Yeah, and at this point, Taichi is kind of a made guy in yeah. New Japan. Like, yeah. he's definitely, like, unless something crazy happens, like, he's going to be in the G1 this year. Yeah. Which, speaking of that, I mean, in this case, I'll say this. Yes, he hit a low blow, and, and you know, that was kind of the big turning point in the match. But ultimately... This is pretty much a clean win for Taichi. It pretty much was, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, as far as like visuals and all that sort of thing, yeah, he cheated. So there is a little bit of a backdoor for Jeff Cobb and, and you know, that sort of thing. And maybe down the road if they wrestle again, even in, hypothetically, if Cobb is in the G1, which I don't know if he will be, they might have a really great, you know, rematch. And that that's something that they can play off in terms of story like New Japan likes to do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, Taichi, one year ago, was trying to... Uh, Politic is way into the G1, didn't get in, and was very frustrated with his role, and they've decided to kind of go with him now. So um, he's back at the helm in the Never Division, and I think that this benefits everybody involved. Yeah. I, the only thing I will say, though, you're not going to get performances like this 
out of Taichi in the G1. Like, what you're going to get is something much more similar to what we got out of the Bullet Club last year. Yikes. Or what we got out of um, Jay White last year during the G1. Like, this kind of performance, not to bury Taichi or take anything away from him, but we know that he doesn't consistently go out there and put forth this kind of effort. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He just doesn't. Um, there will pro- He'll probably have a few great matches during the G1, but if he's in it... And he's the champion. Well, honestly, I, 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 it really depends on which block he's in. If he, I, I don't think it does. You don't think if he ends up in that ki- a, a killer block, like he gets in a block with like Abushi, Naito, Ishii, that those guys aren't going to get bangers out of him? We're, we already seen Ishii get a four star out of him. Yeah, but did they get one out of Tamatanga? Well, Tamatanga wasn't in that that killer block. Tam, wasn't Tamatanga in the B block? Oh, he was in the B block, wasn't he? There's always that guy who Fale was in the A there's block. always that guy who messes up the average and, <laughs> and you know you know Taichi's philosophy on wrestling and heel work and that sort of thing and like he'll have a couple bangers but like we're gonna get classic Taichi matches during the G1 that's yeah. what we're getting yeah. since we're talking about this topic real quick and we mentioned Tama he did tweet out um, he asked to be removed from this year's G1 climax. I saw that, and wondering if they would grant it. People initially thought it was a joke about you know you know WWE people granted asking for the release to be granted, but he <laughs> but he, uh, he followed up with that tweet by saying he wants to focus on tag team wrestling. Uh, so thoughts on Tama not being potentially not being a G1. I think that's a really smart way to try to say I don't want to do a bunch of jobs come <laughs> June and <laughs> July and September. Could be. I I think that that's. I really think that. I think that in a way that would probably benefit the G one. I mean, you know, we know what we're getting with Tamatanga. He's a guy that he's great in his tag team role, and they're not going to be pushing him as a singles guy. But ultimately, he is a a stalwart and a you know staple of the G one climax. So I don't know necessarily that they're actually going to grant that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be guys in the G1 who take pinfall losses and he's one of those guys but on the flip side if they did decide to honor that and not have him be in it mm-hmm. um, there's plenty of people who can take his spot and there's plenty of possibility that that would open up so I wouldn't be opposed to it at all yeah I'd be down um, so now the main event of the evening we had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship Dragon Lee defending the title against the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori, the Bullet Club's last chance to get a win on their birthday on night one. What do you think about this one? Fantastic. Yeah, man. This match word. was incredible. I actually was able to watch this match twice uh, because Rich Latta came over. Um, I just rewatched it for the second time. Yeah, dude, this match was incredible. It was everything that I expected to be. These guys just went balls to the wall and just put out a fantastic main event here. Right now, would you say this is the front runner for junior match of the year? Yeah. I would say so, too. This, yeah, this pretty much has blown away pretty much any singles junior match that's happened this year. What I mean, what would you say prior to this was even the best junior match of the year? Uh, I mean, we, you know, my feelings when it came to Kushida and, Kushida uh, and Taiji. Taiji, and then Taiji had a very very impressive uh, performance against uh, Taguchi. Um, and then he had the match with Liger. The, the match with Liger was solid. 
And then after that, we had the three-way, which may actually, up to this point, been the best junior match of the year. But mm-hmm. none of those matches really seem to be in the, um, you know, in the same sort of vein of excellence that we've experienced the last few years when it comes to big junior title matches during big shows like this. And um, very fitting, this... Oh, by the way, folks, we are now officially in the Reiwa era mm-hmm. of you know, Japanese wrestling and in the Japanese, um, you know, uh, what would you call it? I guess like in their, the, the era of their, um, emperor. Mm-hmm. So the first ever, uh, junior title match of the Reiwa era, uh, leaving the, um, what are the t- other two eras? Oh my God. I can't like, I know this. I can't believe I don't, I'm, I can't say it on the air, but the Heisei. Um, yeah, the, there was the Showa and then the Heisei era. And now we're in the Reiwa era. So, um, yeah, but great, great, great match. Both guys going out there and killing it, looking so fluid. They had tons of chemistry. This was everything I wanted and more out yeah, of this match. Yeah, and it's just so, I mean, there's so many great spots. Um, you know, the the V-trigger exchanges between both guys. Um, Ishimori hitting uh, a nasty-looking crucifix bomb. That's the crucifix bomb I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, Dragon Lee's... Um, Hurricane Rana, where he jumps from to the outside. Yeah, he jumps from in the ring while the guy's standing on the apron and does jumps over the ropes and does a Hurricane Rana. I mean, we've we've seen that spot live, um, and it's it's always incredible. It's it's crazy. Dragon Lee is twenty three years old, man. Yeah, that's insane. And just just killing it. Uh, but yeah, man, I I absolutely love this match. I went four point seven five on this bad boy. I, I'm the same. I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this match this match blew me away. Both guys putting their bodies on the line, going out there, but not just having a spot fest. This was not what I would call a flippy do match or a spot fest. Tons of psychology, great storytelling, tons of back and forth action, lots of near falls. Mm-hmm. The, the the interactions between these guys were so fluid and the the near falls and the storytelling aspect was so high here. And even though I expected Lee to win, there was quite a few times where they had me biting on the bit thinking that Ishimori had had regained the title. Yeah, and it was a great uh, callback to the 2018 Best of the Super Junior Finals when uh, Ishimori and Lee, they were trading forearm strikes on their knees, which was um, was Ishimori and Hiromu last year at the finals. Ooh, yeah. And we know, you know, Dragon Lee, he's doing everything for Hiromu. He, he came out with the... Uh, Kamatachi mask, which used to be uh, Hiromu's gimmick in CMLL, and they had that big mask versus mask match that Dragon Lee won. Yo, he took that man's mask and then he took that man's hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so yeah, Dragon Lee, you know, he says he's holding the belt, he's holding this ready for his match with Hiromu. So that was interesting that they had that call back there with Dragon Lee kind of being Hiromu there. Uh, and then um, kind of a hot sequence that you mentioned with um, Ishimori, he had uh, Dragon Lee in the yes lock for a very long time. And it yeah. Looked, it looked like uh, Dragon Lee was going to tap out. And, he, you know, actually Rich and I were having a, a joke about this because Dragon Lee, he would try to, like, push himself towards a rope, but he would, like, slap his hand down on the mat. He's tapping. And uh, we're like, oh, tap. He was tapping, man. It's a tap. That's a tap. Because, dude, he did it several times in a row yeah. where, like, he was just trying to like he was trying to like you know grab onto the mat to like push himself forward, but he would like slap down on the mat. Who was the ref here? Was it Marty Asami or was it Red no, Shoes? No, it was Red Shoes. 
It's man, the main event. The, the, the best in the business. This man using his referee discretion to know when a person's tapping out or not tapping out. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ishimori also got a great near fall with um, that lung blower maneuver that he does that looks like he's about to do like the bloody cross, or and then, but he does like a lung blower kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then eventually came down to uh, Dragon Lee. He hits a big running knee that got a near fall, and he followed up with the des, uh, Desnua, I can't even say this correctly, Desnuchadora. I know I totally butchered that thing. Desnuchadora. But it's like the suplex into a powerbomb type maneuver that he always does. Let me tell you something, man. That running knee strike was massive. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a more impactful or devastating running knee strike in mm-hmm. any wrestling match. Like, that was highlight real worthy. Like, he freaking leveled Ishimori. And when he got the two after that, I thought that that was the match. Like, that's how hard he hit him. I was like, oh, they're going to let him win with a knee strike. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, he killed Ishimori with that knee strike. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, Dragon Lee, he retains here, and it's still your IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Uh, another question from Rambone Slam Pig. He says, does a Dragon Lee-Ishimori match get you hyped for best of the Super Juniors or what? Bro, so, so, so hyped. These guys had plenty of time to wrestle. 25 minutes, almost 26 minutes. They had an incredible main event. It was awesome because Dragon Lee didn't actually pin Ishimori to win the title. And so him defeating Ishimori and defending the belt solidifies him as the rightful champion. Um, And the match was just really good throughout. Well executed. Tons of peaks and valleys. What I loved is anytime these guys would hit big moves, they would sell. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, is an underrated art and something that is, you know, we see it on the indies so much where guys overused the whole trope where they end up um, hitting big moves and then popping up almost immediately and it's like they're just rushing through their stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you the, the story of a match benefits when it's believable that two guys hit big moves and then they both sell it afterwards. I mean, mm. that's something that's a lost art and these two guys are so advanced um, for their age. And there was also that great um, double count out, near double count out, yes. where literally they both got in right before 20. Yeah, so, and then down the stretch, just a really, really dramatic, you know, um, sequence of moves, really teasing that Ishimori was going to get the title back. Excellent stuff, you know, and the right person won here and solidified himself as the rightful champion. Yeah. And yes, this gets me extremely hyped for Best of Super Juniors. I wouldn't say that the junior division has been in a lull or anything of that nature because it's not like we've been having bad matches, but, you know, over the past few years, we've become accustomed to a level of excellence, whether it was Ricochet or whether it was, um, you know, Will Ospreay or Hiromu or any number of, of um, you know, Kushida, obviously, junior champions just putting on excellent main events across the board. And we've kind of been missing these big blowaway matches. And this one really delivered and gets me extremely excited for the yeah, Best I, Super Juniors. Yeah, I'm Junior super summer. excited for Best of Super Juniors. You know, I hope these guys are in the same block. I want to see a rematch with these guys. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I mean, the lineup this year is phenomenal. I think it's going to end up being one of the best tournaments um, there's, there's ever been. We're going to talk about night two here in a moment. But let me just say this. Do you think that this is the leading candidate for match of the month right now? I think it is. I think so, too. Um, and before we move on to night two, I just want to um, drop some attendance facts. Um, so last year, night one of Don Taku, which had Kenny Omega 
in the main event did uh, 4,066. This year's uh, Dontaku Night 1 did 4,011. So only 55 less than last year's Night 1 of the show. And I think that's pretty good considering you had uh, a Kenny Omega in a main event in the previous year. And here you had uh, a junior title match and then you had a semi-main of LIJ versus Chaos. So I think uh, New Japan did it pretty good here for Night 1. Absolutely. All right, so uh, let's get into uh, night two of wrestling Don Taku. Don Taku. Uh, pulling up the card here. So, of course, opening match, we have our Young Lions in action. Uh, this time it was just um, a regular tag instead of a six-man tag. We had Shota Umino, Ren Narita, defeating the team of Yota Suji and Yuya Uemura. My surprising take on this match, it was not as good as the opener from the first night. I think part of that could be due to the fact that they had less time to work with, and I think that that's pretty much my only real gripe with it. Yeah, and they kind of, uh, they reversed roles this time with uh, Uramura uh, being... The face in peril? Yeah. Do you think that that played into why I didn't really connect with it as much as the other match? That, that possibly could be. And also this time, uh, Umino was the one who got the win. He hit the uh, the fisherman suplex on Suji to pick up the win. But all in all, still a solid affair between all four of the young lions uh, in New Japan right now. Uh, great performances across the board. Yeah, I think the the big story here is what happened after the match with uh, Narita. Narita. Yeah, he kind of stomps out uh, Iwamura, uh after the match, kind of pushing that rivalry that they've been having. What, do you think that's storyline, or you think that's real life? I don't know. Maybe there's heat in the dojo. Maybe <laughs> uh, uh, Uemura is not, you know, getting laundry done on time. Maybe he's not, you know, getting the back scrubbed correctly. I've been hearing rumors that there are wrestlers out there that don't want to hand out water bottles or carry other wrestlers' bags. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Uemura he doesn't want to, you know, carry uh, Liger or Tenzon. My sources say that Uemura went to HR and complained about it. <laughs> Yumora did a full interview with Fightful.com. He did an interview with Fightful.com. That will be out tomorrow <laughs> detailing why what goes on in the dojo. We will get the full translation for you guys. <laughs> also, Yu Yamora was offered a contract, and he said, double it or I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> he said, release me. Let my people go. Yeah, let, gonna, let Yumora go, man. Yeah, he, he's like, I'm going to go to AEW. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna enter that uh, over the budget battle royal. Oh man! But yeah, so uh, next matchup <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, El Desperado, and Taka Michinoku defeating the team of Jeff Cobb, Yoshihashi, Toa Hanare, Risuke Taguchi, and Tiger Mask. So, did you think it was kind of weird that Jeff Cobb came out like all smiley, like a stupid smiley baby face after like losing his first title in the company? Yeah, he had like I'm happy to be here. Look, which I I know Jeff Cobb loves being in Japan. I'm just happy to be here, guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I think he should have played it up, you know, being a little bit more frustrated, a little bit, you know, being angry that he lost the belt, especially on his first title defense. He should have been trying to kill Tai Chi in this match, and we yes. did, we really didn't get that here. Yeah, he did not look like an angry baby face looking for comeuppance. He was like, I'm just happy to be... Oh, shucks. I'm just happy to be here, guys. <laughs> uh, one thing I thought was interesting, 
all of Suzuki Goon came out to the Suzuki. Was it um, Suzuki's music or was yeah, it? Yeah, they came out to Suzuki's music, uh, Kaze Ninare. And then Taichi got his own entrance, kind of highlighting what we had mentioned the previous night how it does seem that New Japan is really getting behind this push of Taichi and kind of highlighting his star power within the group um, coming out to a solo entrance. Which, you know what is funny? I've always kind of hated in the past when they've done the mashups between, like, when Taichi would come out and he would start to do his music and then they'd cut it off and to, um, they'd go to, like, Iska's music yeah, Iska, or something. Yeah. And then, like, Ishii or Taichi would have to, like, bang on the on the mic and be like, what happened? <laughs> but, um, yeah, they're, they're, they really seem to be getting behind him here. But um, aside from those, I think that's almost, like, the most notable thing. Um, not much to this match, and I thought it was one of the worst matches of the two nights, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the kind of a, a story here that you might have missed if you don't watch the promos uh, backstage. Um, Hanare um, said he wanted to be next in line for the Never title. He, he was going to challenge Tai Chi next. But, um, you know, the, the match came down to Tai Chi super kicking Hanare, letting him know that he will not be challenging, pins this man, and gets him out of there. He did, however, hit Taichi with a spear for two and then almost hit the Toa bottom. But, uh, yeah, Taichi fought out of it and, you know, he's the bigger star. He's the, he's the man now. And so got the clean win over Hinare, who is quickly working his way to JAG status in this company. Yeah. Um, so the following match, we have Jushin Thunder Liger, Togi Makabe, and Toriyano defeating Tamatonga, Tangaloa, and Jado. Uh, I mean, not much here. I mean, when you get Jado in there, you you already know what's happening. You know he's gonna be uh, doing the job. I did like Liger's uh, uh, when he got the shine in the early part, and he just freaking showtayed the crap out of everybody. Yeah, clearing the ring that was pretty awesome. But um, you know, this was aside from that. This was actually, you know what? I gotta retract what I just said. Because this was significantly worse than the match previous. Yeah, this this was the worst match of the tour. Yes. Yeah, yeah this is like worse than almost everything we saw on the Dantaku tour entirely. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess it's not too surprising considering, you know, not ne- not to bury any of the uh, wrestlers, but the mashup isn't necessarily one that... I mean, I'm not, I haven't been dying to see this MVP Liger versus, you know, Bullet Club match, honestly. Yeah. Uh, also, I think it's kind of weird that, you know, they had Liger and Suzuki in two different matches here. I mentioned that last week. Yeah. Well, I mentioned how, you know, I was wondering if there was going to be some sort of payoff between the two. But we, we noticed and we talked about how they seemed to be at a stalemate the night before. Mm-hmm. And they seemed to be continuing to run with that storyline. But then the next night, mm-hmm. we hear nothing about it. So, um, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, so like I mentioned here... Um, Yano, he does the low blow and schoolboy roll up, gets the pin on Jado. Uh, Liger, Makabe, Yano get the win here. Um, Bullet Club eating another L on their Bullet Club birthday weekend. So the next match they we put ha- the L in Bullet Club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have uh, Juice Robinson, Hiroki Goto, Mad Mikey Nichols, and Tomioka Hanma. Defeating the Bullet Club team of Jay White, Battle of Fale, Chase Owens, and Hikaleo. This was um, fine. Uh, kind of lacked some energy and felt a little bit flat. Um, nothing here super inspiring. I wouldn't give this the recommend, but it, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, 
I think it was uh, Juice ended up pinning Hikaleo at the end right here, right? With the Pulp Friction. Yes, he hit the left hand of God and the Pulp Friction and finished uh, Young Lion Hikaleo. Yeah, and at the, after, with that loss, at this point in the Don Taku weekend, Bullet Club was now 0-5 in their matches. Um, you know, great way to celebrate the anniversary of the <laughs> Bullet Club. Afterwards, we got uh, another airing of the Time is Up video. Um, so whoever this mystery challenger is for Juice, continuing to taunt, continuing to uh, play mind games, if you will. If you will. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so uh, continuing to build up whatever that may be. And then afterwards, we had the matchup of Dragon Lee and Will Ospreay, the super team, taking on the Bullet Club team of Taiji Ishimori and X. And we finally discovered who X is, whoever could it be. Hiromu Takahashi. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was El Fantasmo from Rev Pro. The newest Bullet Club member gets the big entrance, comes out, Bullet Club shirt, throwing up the two sweets, and we get Ishimori coming out. Then Osprey comes out with a, you know, very surprised look on his face because, you know, obviously Osprey and El Fantasmo were friends while in Rev Pro. There's a relationship there, and he was surprised that El Fantasmo joined the Bullet Club. He was, you know, questioning him, you know, why are you, why are you doing this, and at the start of the match, you know, Dragon Lee was ready to run it. And he's like, no, hold on, hold on. This is my friend. Like, I know him. Let me talk to him. And uh, then uh, ELP, El Fantasma, just hits him with that too sweet on the forehead. Ooh. And uh, no handshake here. Here's my question to you. With Robbie Eagles and El Fantasma joining the Bullet Club fold, is there any chance that the mole in chaos is none other than Will Ospreay? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting wrinkle. Could he be enticed to go to the dark side? Maybe he could be. That would be one of those stupid things because he just had a big match with Jay Lee or with uh, Jay White, and you know is having this match with Ishimori and El Fantasmo, and that would be one of those stupid. Yeah. You know, I, I won't say any company names, but one of those stupid western style storylines <laughs> that don't make any sense yeah how many guys did we ever see like feud with the nwo and then be like i was with them all along yeah yeah uh it was me austin <laughs> it was me all along uh but yeah this match did a great job oh real, it, real quick before we move on mm -hmm. Do we have any questions this week about who the Mole in Chaos is? No, we don't. Thank God. <laughs> Good riddance, sir. <laughs> uh, this match did a great job of introducing El Fantasmo to the New Japan audience. He did all of his uh, big maneuvers. Looked fantastic, you know, watching it with Rich Latta. And as soon as he started flipping, Rich was like, he's okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he did, he did a lot of great stuff. Uh, the rope walking spot that he was doing was uh, pretty cool. You know, eat your heart out, Undertaker. <laughs> I, I really don't care about the opinion of RLS, <laughs> Rich Latta Shyster. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I thought he, I thought El Fantasmo came off looking very, very good here. All everybody looked great here. Obviously, you've got four super workers, and this was a very good and fun tag team match. Um, up to this point, easily the best thing on the show, mm -hmm. and a fantastic debut for El Fantasmo from his entrance. 
uh, to all the action in the match. I think that he made a way better account of himself in his debut match um, than, say, the likes of Robbie Eagles when he first made his debut in New Japan. Yeah, he hit that beautiful acai moonsault where he was standing on the buckle and he walks the rope and then just does this, gets this mad air and just uh, while Ishimori was holding Dragon Lee and Osprey and wipes them out. Um, yeah, he just looked great here. I also match. thought the the interactions between Osprey and El Fantasmo were very good as well. Obviously, like we alluded to, the fact that they have tons of history, a lot of familiarity with one another when it comes to their um, history working with one another. I've actually seen uh, some of their matches in Rev Pro and, and abroad, and um, I wouldn't say they were like go out of your way. You have to see them, but they've mm-hmm. been nothing but you know good wrestling matches. So. Um, I really dug the interactions between these two guys. And uh, Ishimori and El Fantasmo busting out quite a few uh, double teams. Dude, it was like they have been a seasoned tag team. There was that one, like, code breaker into the moonsault to the back combo they did. They did a bunch yep. of combos. I'm like, yep. yo, we need Ishimori and ELP in the Super Junior Tag League this year. Forget that. World Tag League. <laughs> I wish that we could just get rid of the Junior Tags and just combine combine them. But yeah, I'm, no, there's I'm, people who don't want that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I would be down with Taiji and ELP as, as as the team instead of Taiji and Robbie Eagles. Um, you know, towards the end here, ELP he super kicked Osprey in midair when he was going for the Oz cutter, um, and then he nailed him with a uh, spinning TKO. He did that, and then he followed up with um, a Styles Clash looking maneuver. Styles Clash, kind of a mix of a Angel's Wing kind of thing where he trapped the arms, had him up, and dropped him on his face. And he pinned Will Ospreay. I don't know the official name of that move. I would call it like an elevated pedigree. Yeah. That's what I would probably uh, call it. But yeah, he gets the 1-2-3 over Will Ospreay, which, as we all know, Will Ospreay's been on a tear this year. He may be the leading candidate for Wrestler of the Year, not just in New Japan, but across the board. Um, he's got to be in the top five at this point. And, you know, they've been having him beat heavyweights all throughout the year. Yeah, honestly, that's why I was very surprised that they chose to pin Osprey here. I thought they would have gone with ELP pinning Dragon Lee. Setting up a title match? Setting up a title match, or, or just setting up the fact that he beat the champion going into Best of Super Juniors. And then you can put them in the same block and have Dragon Lee get the win back. Is that what we predicted last week? Yeah. I think it was. I think it is. But, you know, it kind of makes sense. Um, El Fantasma, Will Ospreay, they're the ones. We probably should have seen it coming because they do have history. They they mm-hmm. do have a friendship and a relationship. And the fact, I think it's almost a stronger way to get him over to actually pick up a win over Will Ospreay. Yeah. And to have it done in a tag team match is significant. Um, you know, very few times do you see major stars take pinfall losses whether it be singles or tag matches. So when a guy comes in and, and gets a definitive win over a big star like Will Ospreay, that sets him up for nothing but success, and it's a big indication of the type of run that we expect to see El Fantasmo go on when it comes to Best Super Juniors this coming year. Yeah, and um, so, you know, this match was just short of 10 minutes, but did a great job of getting over the kind of rivalry with Osprey and El Fantasmo, and just getting uh, El Fantasmo over in general. And let me give a little bit of praise to my boy, my favorite wrestler, the nicest wrestler I've ever met in my life, Will Osprey. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, uh, hats off to Will Osprey in doing the J-O-B because 
he doesn't necessarily have to do that sort of thing. And it does show a selflessness mm-hmm. and show a willingness to do what needs to be done for the greater good of the company and for uh, a debuting star because there's very few, there's almost no stronger way they could have gotten Phantasma over and made him in one night than to have him beat Will Ospreay clean in the middle of the ring. And it is very reminiscent of the debut that Ishimori made just one year ago. Yeah, uh, last year's Wrestling Dontaku tour, you know, we had the hype videos of the return of the Bone Soldier, and eventually it was Ishimori, and he, you know, had his eyes set on Will Ospreay, attacked Ospreay, kind of set stuff up for Best of Super Juniors last year, so pretty much a little repeat of what happened this year, except we had ELP being the one to make the debut for Bullet Club and going after Ospreay. Um, so yeah, great matchup. I went a three point seven five on that one. Um, the next match of the night was the team of Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Bushi defeating the team of Kota Ibushi, Sho, and Yo of Rapungi Three K. So um, obviously this was a rematch uh, from night one. Um, but this one went a little bit longer, um, and I like this one better. Um, just, you know, more great interactions between um, Naito and Ibushi. Um, there was a spot where Naito drilled Ibushi with a Gloria, just dropped him on his head, looked nasty. Um, but yeah, man, I definitely enjoyed this this match, this uh, one better than the previous night's match of this one. I agree. I think that one of those things that uh, probably elevated this match were the interactions between Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito. They kind of saved that for the second night, Mm -hmm. which was really great. Um, You know, it almost sounds like we're saying the same thing that we've said so many times on this tour, that the matchups between Chaos and Ibushi taking on um, LIJ members... They just continuously deliver match after match, night after night. They have been the most in. Even though we've had great matches out of all the undercard, you know, multi-man tags, this has been the thing that has been the highlight of the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so funny because we talked about it last week. Where in any other company, they'd be criticized for continuously doing similar matchups, continuously making you watch the same thing night after night. You know, over and over and over again. But it's very hard to be hard pressed to complain about it or to have a negative take on that because these guys are going out there and putting on near four star performances every single time. And this was just another example of that. And each match is unique, each match is different. The creativity between this combination of performers. And, you know, we don't always get to see um, juniors and heavyweights interact the way, the way that we've been able to see, you know, a Naito in a show or a, a Bushi and Shingo. And this has just been very, very, very enjoyable. And, uh, yeah, I, I dug this a lot. Yeah, and once again, the Bushi and Shingo interactions were great. There was a great spot where Shingo hit a pop-up Death Valley driver on a Bushi. That was just awesome uh, pop for that one. Um, and then we, you know, we come down towards the end of the match. Yo, he's going for this uh, new dragon suplex finisher that he used to retain the junior tag titles. He tried to hit it on Naito, but Naito escapes. Lij clears the ring. Naito hits the Destino for the win. Um, and then we get um, 
post-match promo, uh, Naito has the mic in the ring. This is why what I said earlier was stupid. <laughs> uh, Mabushi comes to the ring, um, and Naito, you know, he said, you know, sorry, the, the title match didn't happen tonight. They they didn't change the card. But he's like, um, do you, how about we have the match at Dominion, see or no? Mabushi um, gets in the ring, grabs the mic, says, see. So it's on June 9th, Osaka Joe Hall. The white strap will be on the line once again as Kota Ibushi defends against Tetsuya Naito. Um, we have some questions here about that, uh, Abushi and Naito. First, I got some questions. <laughs> first from Reddit user DomHomie101. He says, do you guys think that Abushi versus Naito could benefit from being a, gimmick ma- or, yeah, being a gimmick match to add something new to it, like a ladder match as an example? I think that that is an interesting question and an interesting uh, suggestion. It's something that I hadn't actually thought of up to this point at all, to be honest, because gimmick matches are so few and far between when it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling. I almost feel like up to this point, if they were going to do that, they might have started to tease or allude to it, but you never know. Every once in a while, they'll introduce, when they do do gimmick matches, every once in a while, they'll introduce it kind of out of the blue during a promo or during a backstage interview. They haven't alluded to it yet, so there's no reason to think right now that that is what they're going to do. You never know, though. We could have uh, some listeners from the office uh, hearing you right now, Dom Honey One Hundred One, <laughs> and uh, that's a possibility. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think a gimmick could help, you know, change things up and add a new twist, a new flavor to this matchup. I do have a hard time seeing a ladder match, though. I know we've had the one ladder match. It was what um, Tanahashi was, no, or no Knight. Who was it was it? Elgin, Elgin and, and Kenny? Omega. Yeah. It was, it was supposed, supposed to, be. to be Kenny and Tanahashi, but Tanahashi got hurt. Um, How great would that have been? Oh, man, that would have been amazing. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of matches are rare. You know, it's not really done in New Japan. and They've done I, twice. Yeah. Both Omega matches. Yeah. So I, Oh, wait, that wasn't a ladder match. No, they just had a ladder spot. With Cody. Yeah. Yeah, for some reason I was thinking it was a ladder match. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if ladder match would be the way they would go. Maybe a two out of three falls. That's what That was going to be my question to you. So if you could, if it was up to you and you've got the book, you're Gato. Mm-hmm. And you think, let's spice this matchup. It needs a little something, a little flavor, a little some something, something. What would you book? What would you book? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I would go either two out of three falls or maybe a 30-minute Ironman. Ooh, 30-minute Ironman. That's interesting. I don't know what I would do. I like the idea of a ladder match, actually, but maybe not for this feud. Like, But I'm just I'm just trying to think what would be good. Like... I don't think a submission match would make very much sense. No, neither of them have submission finishers. Nah. Uh, and and I almost, to a certain degree, feel like two out of three falls would be pretty cool. A, a, a shorter version of the Iron Man match would be pretty cool as well. But with that being said, does this feud really need that? You right. know what I mean? Cause it's, it's definitely not heated up enough to do like a false count anywhere or... Or like a no DQ. Yeah. They haven't heated it up to that point. It's still kind of been like very like friendly, one-upmanship up, one kind of rivalry. Like classic wrestling. Yeah. So yeah, so I think that the um, the gimmicks that you kind of mentioned kind of would play somewhat into the uh, type of match that these guys have been having. Um, but then again, you know, two out of three falls matches sometimes are hard to pull off. And to, same thing with an Ironman match. I actually think 
just thinking off the top of my head, I almost would prefer just the straight standard match that we're probably going to get because mm-hmm. it's going to be insane. And like a two out of three falls match, these guys are gonna, these guys go out and kill each other <laughs> every single time. Yeah. Um, the only real benefit I see to, the, to it being a two out of three falls match is the idea that both men get a visual fall over one another and it kind of protects them a bit. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on it. Uh, next question comes from Reddit user CFC Champions. Oh wait, one thing before yeah. we move on, I did want to say though, with the two bangers that these guys have had this year, and then the fact that we're getting another big match on a big show, we are looking at what is most likely right now the feud of the year. Yeah, when it comes to in ring, this got to be the feud of the year. Yeah, definitely. Um, even 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 beyond Liger and Suzuki, yeah, yeah. I mean that that definitely has the heat and like the promos and the backstage stuff. But from a in ring quality, like you mentioned, it's definitely a. When you talk about a series of matches, these guys have the best series of matches going this year. Uh, kind of, I would say, followed closely but uh, in second place by um, most likely Okada and Jay White. I would say probably, yeah. All right, so next question from our user, CFC Champions. He says, if Naito does not walk out of Wrestle Kingdom 14, IWGP Heavyweight Champion, after defeating Okada, and it's again in an IC title match, does that kill his character and prove that Gato has misbooked him? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question because I don't know if that's what they're going to even, I don't even know if he's going to be in the title match. It's really... I mean, what do you think, man? I really don't know. Here's the thing. I know Naito and LIJ fans desperately want Naito to be the IWGP champion, to finally beat Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, to leave the Dome as the champion. And, you know, they that's the only booking direction they want. However, I listen to those reactions on both nights of this Ontaku tour Naito was super over. He got huge pops, probably one of the biggest pops of the night, both nights. He's still super over without being the IWGP champion. So I'm not sure if you have to do that. You, if you have to have Naito walk out with, with the belt. Okay, you don't have to, mm-hmm. right? But let's let's talk about this. They've been going with Okada for a long time now. His first reign legendary one of the greatest if not the greatest title reign in the history of new japan maybe the whole sport um it's up there with you know your kenta kobashis and your you know samoa joes and your hulk hogan's and all these like fantastic title reigns that we you know hold in high regard it's right up there but there is something to be said about the fact that a lot of the matches he probably has had or will be having um you know are it's a lot of repeats there's a lot of you know stories that have been told that are getting retold and that's not necessarily a bad thing but with abushi i'm sorry with um with naito at the top the fact that he is so over this company i mean the whole point of wrestling is to make money Mm -hmm. i can't imagine that he is a guy that is only going to be popular in the chase because even when he's not chasing even when he's not doing anything he's super over right I think that there's a case to be made with the fact that, A, heating him up for a title uh, run, especially in the G1, is going to be super easy if that's what they decide to do. Number two, him as champion, I can't imagine that it would be anything but 
mega successful, especially mm-hmm. in that Japanese market. And C, there's a ton of stories that haven't been told, a ton of matches that can be made, and lots of things they can do. And if you do book Okada to be champion between now and Wrestle Kingdom, that's a respectable reign with a lot of good title defenses between it. And it plays into the story that we've seen um, or that we've anticipated to be told with you know them having their third Wrestle Kingdom match and him finally climbing to the top of the mountain. It makes a lot of sense to me that that's the way they potentially would go. I think the big two monkey wrenches are Jay White and even more so Ibushi. Yeah. Those are the two big things where it's like, well, what are we doing with those guys? Right. And there's a, there is a big case to be made for the fact that they might go with Ibushi. And, and Will Ospreay is kind of flirting in that area as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all yeah, there's a lot of potential options of what they can do. Remember, there's two nights at the dome this year, so a lot of big matches, a lot of potential options. And don't get me wrong, I I am for Naito going to the dome and winning the belt. I've been predicting that as the Wrestle Kingdom 14 main event for quite some time now. They've kind of thrown a monkey wrench in with two nights. Now we have a Bushi full time, like you mentioned. We got Jay White, the top guy. We have Will Osprey on the um, ascent to becoming a top guy. So there's a lot of variables at play that kind of make it questionable whether they are going to do Naito or not. Now here's one thing I will say, because I think his question is, correct me if I'm wrong, his question is, if he doesn't um, win in the title match, does that kill his character? Right, and prove that Gato has misbooked him. I think that if he is not in the title match, and he has something meaningful, and I know there's people cringing even just hearing that right now, Mm -hmm then it doesn't necessarily ruin him or bury him or whatever. It just means that he's not going to get that spot right now that people wanted him to get. And there, there there, will be criticism against that, and I'm not advocating for it. But I think what would kill him, what would kill him... Losing to Okada? ...is if he gets the title shot and he loses again. Because now we're talking about a perennial guy that can't get it done. And that's, you know, he's not where Nakamura was when Nakamura, you know, was at the tail end of, of his New Japan run and couldn't win the IWGP title. Like, he's not there. He's kind of way way more over than that, way past that. Um, so I guess what my big argument against what you had said, Jeremy, earlier is, like, sometimes, you know, certain guys don't need the belt. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're absolutely right. Like, Naito is not necessarily a guy that needs the belt. But I think the opportunity is there is with how over he is, it doesn't make a lot of sense to not go with him at some point, especially with how long they've been building it up. They need to pull the trigger on him at some point. And if not, if not now, then when? Right. You know, that's my thing. And, And I think from a money standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, now is the time. So he still is my favorite guy. Yeah, to I, go, mean, to I, go. I still think. I mean, that's what I would do. I would still go with Naito. Um, but if he if he's not in the title match, and he's doing something else, it doesn't kill him. But if he gets to the to the precipice mm-hmm. and then doesn't win the belt and then loses against whoever the champion is again at Wrestle Kingdom, then I will officially be on that that you know night they've killed Naito bandwagon. I really will be. Mm. All right, so moving on, we had a segment here. The ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, comes back. He comes out to cheers, and he cuts a promo, you know, talking about how 
Um, you know, last year at this time, he challenged for the title, and then he hit, he hit a low, but then he came back and won the G1. He went to the Tokyo Dome, won the title, but then he lost the title, and then he got came back from his injury, and he's on a low, but he promises he's going to rise up again. He will be back in action June 5th at the Best of the Super Junior Finals at Sumo Hall, and he said that he would win the G1 again. Uh, out comes Switchblade Jay White. Not happy that um, Tanahashi's back. Not happy that along Tan- with Gato. Yeah, with Gato, of course. And you know, not happy Tanahashi's back. He says that um, he's first in line for a title shot. That Tanahashi is at the back of the line, even behind Goto. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, and then White jumped him. Uh, he put his injured elbow in a steel chair, and he was going to do a, a, a single man concerto. With it to the injured arm, but luckily the young lion stepped up and made the save here for the ace. And he says he's next and leaves. Yeah. So here's what I would like to have happen at this point of the show. You said some pretty inflammatory things about my ace. You said some really hateful, horrible things about Tanahashi. You said that he was a liar. You said that he was working a gimmick. You said that he wasn't actually injured, that this whole thing was a farce. You said he was working us, and that didn't prove to be true. So I would like for you to take the time now to issue a public apology to one Hiroshi Tanahashi. The floor is yours, Jeremy. Well, first of all, you did, you exaggerated a little bit on some of the stuff. That was uh, word for word. I didn't I didn't say he was a farce. Um and I, there was you said little, he you said he wasn't a good wrestler and you said he couldn't read good. You said his <laughs> hair looked stupid. No, I, you can you can listen back to the episode. I did not say any of that. Don't stuff. do that. Take my word. I would not <laughs> lie to you. So here's what I'll say. Yes. You're not gonna you're not gonna apologize. Oh, I'm not gonna apologize. Oh my god. Here's, here's what I'll say. I, I'll say I was wrong. You know, I I have some sources who were saying that. Tanahashi, that this was not a legit injury. And plus, if you watch New Japan for the last couple of years, Tanahashi does go on hiatus during this time period. And, and usually there is some kind of mysterious injury that comes out of nowhere. Bro, that they're happens. not mysterious. This man is broken down. <laughs> um, but yeah, it looks like this time that the, <laughs> that the elbow injury was legit. Oh so my God. I'm sorry if I gave you know false information, but... According to my sources, that that's what I was hearing, but it, unfor- but unfortunately they were wrong this time. It's, I want to know who your sources are. That's what I want to know. You nah, got these mysterious I sources. I keep them close to the vest. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, on on the behalf of keeping it strong style, Hiroshi Tanahashi, I would like to apologize. On behalf of my co-host, we know that you were actually injured. We know you've been injured every single time you've gone on hiatus. All these different years. And you would never lie to us. And you are still the one in 1,000 talent, once in a lifetime, the ace of the universe, the greatest IWGP champion. You saved this company. We wouldn't be here without you. You have great hair. And despite what Jeremy says, you're a fantastic reader. I'm sure your Lexile scores are off the chart. You done? Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So. And he going to fuck up this geek, Jay White. <laughs> oh, man. So next up, Tomohiro Ishii, the Stone Pitbull, defeats Evil in what was one hell of a blockbuster fight. 
Fight of, fight of the year candidate? Yes, yeah, strong style fight of the year candidate. Fight of the year candidate, ladies and gentlemen. And yes, this was a fight, ladies and gentlemen. And like the previous night's tag match um, kind of showed what we were going to get, they gave, they gave a little taste of what we were going to get here tonight in this matchup. And these guys, as soon as the bell rang, charged each other with shoulder blocks. Run it. Yes, literally run it. Run it. Shoulder blocks, forearms, uh, stiff strikes. I mean, these guys. Headbutts. Throat chops, kicks, knees, elbows, all the offense in the world. These guys were killing each other. And you know what? I want to issue an apology on my behalf because I have said slanderous things about evil and him not showing up when it comes to big matches. But you put him in there with Ishii and things change. Dude, evil was here to play. And you know, evil Evil was here to play the game. (laughs) Evil's a guy I like. Actually, I actually like Evil. I know that you know some don't consider him the best wrestler. He doesn't always you know have the best star ratings in his one-on-one matches. But there's something about Evil I like. And in this match, he like he he showed up big time here, and just really proves what he can do on a big stage. I just think last year when he had that uh, never match with Goto, I was expecting this style of matchup, mm-hmm. and we didn't get that. And it's been a little while. Maybe I'm being a a little. Uh, not really remembering, but it feels like it's been a while since we've seen Evil have a performance like this. Um, I kind of remember him and Elgin having a pretty good match during the G1 last year, mm-hmm. but it's been it's hard for me to remember uh, an Evil match that I've liked this match in quite a while. Yeah, and this match was great. You know, and not only was it a fight, there was a lot of like great um, storytelling and psychology in this match as well. Um, you know, Evil, he's, he's been using the Scorpion Deathlock on Ishii on this tour. And Dastardly. Like we, and like we mentioned, you know, the previous night, he got the ref stoppage with the Scorpion Deathlock. So throughout the match, he was working over Ishii's leg, <laughs> trying to lock in that Scorpion Deathlock. Body part match. Yeah, but then eventually, um, that was Ishii who started working on Evil's leg, and he applied the Scorpion Deathlock onto uh, Evil, and the crowd popped huge for that one. Yeah, bro. There was one point where Tomohiro Ishii um, basically um, evil evil lariated um, Tomohiro Ishii and locked in the scorpion and was sitting back on it just like the night previous. And then um, Ishii got to the ropes and then got up and kneed evil and laid in strikes and dropped evil. And then Tomohiro Ishii just fired the fuck up. Hit him with the sliding lariat, connected for two. Evil countered out of the brainbuster, hit his own German. Ishii popped up, and then Evil hit a lariat. Like these, uh, these exchanges were just so. It's everything that we've come to expect and, mm-hmm. and see from Ishii. Like I was popping huge for the Germans and the lariats and the suplexes. Yes. And bro, I love the spot where they like. Both lariat each other. Yes, and the the cell like Ishii was like looks like kind of shaking, like fell back as he took the bump. Listen, oh my gosh, listen, it was great. I, I, I've said it many times before, and I know I'm not the only social suplex member that has this opinion. The best seller in all of pro wrestling, bar none, is Tomohiro Ishii. Yes, dude. When he took that lariat, dude, like I can't even like you have to watch if you haven't watched it, like. Pay attention to how the way he sell, like how he was like bumbling back and like fell backwards. It was great. You know, I when so for uh, and shout out to James Boyd. I had a guest spot on uh, NXT then now and forever this past week. Was that this past week Friday? Um, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes. 
man, my, my weekend has been crazy. I'm forgetting stuff. But we, we discussed um, on that show how there are certain people who haven't, um, like we talked about Jack and we talked about Brock Lesnar and Shayna Baszler. And um, I even thought about uh, Big Van Vader, how there are these monsters who give this air of invincibility and, you know, toughness and ruggedness. And then they'll be in a match and they just come off like imposing forces. And then suddenly the other guy will start to lay stuff in and they sell incredibly. And every single one of those guys I mentioned kind of give off that same thing. And it's so effective when you have somebody who seems impenetrable and then they start getting penetrated Mm -hmm. uh, for lack of a better word. And Ishii is one of those guys, as small as he is, he's just so imposing. And then when he starts getting beat, because a lot of the offense, he will try to shrug off and he'll try to, you know, just put his forehead to the flint and move forward and, and, and drudge through it. But then suddenly out of nowhere, after too much damage accumulates, the selling commences. And this guy is incredible. He's better than all those people when it comes to that aspect. Yeah. He's amazing. And, he he made evil look like an absolute superstar with the way he was selling the maneuvers from him. Am I off base in saying that he made evil look more like a star than any opponent in recent memory? No. I don't think you're off base at all. I think he made evil look better than Kenny Omega did during their G1 match two years ago. Mm-hmm. I think he made, aside from the fact that evil beat Okada... I thought he made Evil look better than Okada did in their match, which is a fantastic, almost five-star affair. Mm -hmm. Like, in terms of giving to a guy and making him look credible and look threatening and, and, you know, just, you know, legit, like, he made Evil look great here. And Evil, like you said, he was here to play the game. Like, he showed up in a big way. Both these guys were excellent, man. And, you know... As much as I love the junior match, and I still think it's probably match of the the month right now, depending on your taste, this could be a close second or even your first pick. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah, so um, Ishii, he, he drilled uh, Evil for Inseguri right to the face. Yep. Uh, fall, he got a near fall with a lariat, and then he picked him up, hit him with a brain buster. One, two, three. Ishii gets the win. Uh, I'm going four and a half on this. Um, Excellent matchup. Just a freaking awesome war. Exactly what they've been building up to all tour long. It didn't disappoint in any way. Um, We talked, you know, last week about how this would be a war and be a fight. And, you know, this wasn't a grappling contest. This wasn't Mm -hmm. a catch-as-catch style match. This was, you know, for lack of a better term, this was modern, strong style. Yeah. It might not be Inoki's strong style, (laughs) but this is Ishii's strong style. And uh, just a violent, violent match with a highly invested crowd. Incredible drama. Ishii delivering, you know, big again. You know how we have big match John? We got big match Tom. (laughs) Yes, big Tom. Big Tom. And um, Evil putting in one of the best overall singles performances to date that he's ever had in the company. And if Evil can continue to do what he did here on this night and do that more often, he's going to be a star, man. Yeah. Like a star. So, um, but all I got to say is belt this man up. (laughs) Give Ishii a title shot again. Do Uh, it now. Yeah. uh, Rich Latta, all caps. 
I have no question. Tomohiro Ishii needs to be in the main event of the Dome. I don't care. <laughs> um, was that his question? Yeah. That's not a question. That was that was a statement. Yes, he said he has no questions. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so post match um, for the backstage promos, uh, actually Taichi had mentioned the previous night in the promos that he had a special person he wanted to ch- who he wanted to challenge him next. So then in the post match promos, Ishii is you know about to be doing his post match promo, and Taichi approached him and says that he wants him to challenge him for the never title, and Ishii is like, "You want to fight me?" And Tai Chi was like, yes, I'm giving you the opportunity to challenge me. Ishii was like, okay, you want me to fight you? I'll fight you. He's like, it's been a while since I've had that belt. He's like, he's like, what have you done with this belt? Tai Chi's like, the belt came this way. I didn't do anything to it. <laughs> but he was throwing, he was treating it like crap and throwing it around yeah. during his last title reign. Yeah. Uh, Ishii and Tai Chi, they have had a singles match. I'm trying to remember when it was. Do you That's remember? the New Japan Cup. That's right. That's right. It's that it was recent. I yeah. was I was trying to remember if it was last year or this year. It was this year, and that was a pretty great match, actually. Remember? Yeah, four stars. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I can't wait to see Taichi get dropped on his dome with that brainbuster. One, two, three. Um, how great! Now I know he probably won't win it. Okay, I know he probably won't win it. But could you see? Tomohiro Ishii going to a G1 final. How awesome would that Dude, be? Dude, that would be incredible. You know that the, the guy who goes to the G1 finals and loses generally gets featured in a big singles match at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. I would love Gato, if you are listening, Rock A, if you are listening, anyone from the New Japan office, please get this man Ishii some points, get him to the finals. I need to see this Naito Ishii G1 final. I need to see this Ibushi Ishii G1 final. Whatever you got to do, whatever it's got to be, whatever give it, it takes. to me. Whatever it takes. I um, need it. I want it. We had a question from Reddit user Jai Brian. He says, does Taichi have a diff wish? Why would anyone want to call out Ishii? I don't have a rational answer for you. <laughs> the only thing I can say is that Something seems to be up because it doesn't seem like he would ever actually challenge Ishii. It's like somebody forced him into it. Like somebody predetermined or pre-scripted this. <laughs> Something seems not to be right because no rational man in his right mind would challenge Ishii for a title shot. Um, one thing though, if we're just talking about storylines, maybe he's got something special in mind for Ishii. Maybe he's got a, he is the thinking man's champion after all. Maybe he's got a game plan in place that we don't know about. Yeah. So, but I, I, man, I want Ishii to win the Never Belt again. Yeah. Something. I, yeah. I, I don't care. I don't care what belt it is. You can you put a belt on this man. Belt him up. Belt him up. All right. So now we move on to the main event of the evening: the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, Kazuchika Okada. Defends the title against the Cold Skull Sonata. And I think the first thing we got to talk about is uh, Sonata's appearance. Yes. Whoa. This was this was TNA. Say a Sonata. Yes. Say a Sonata. This Russell, was Russell Pro. Yeah, Russell won. Yeah, Russell won. Say a Sonata. This was Ace. 
Seiya Sonata. He came out dressed up like the ace of wrestle one, like the like the X Division champion that he has always been. Yeah. Shout out to Caleb Bald Caleb Baldwin, <laughs> TNA. Uh, and you know our good friend Amy, new social suplex member, she popped huge. For Sonata's beard being trimmed up, remember? Finally, remember she had a big thing about that of uh, Sonata's beard, and she's not alone. That's she, that's the entire wrestling community. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that all all members of the wrestling community can agree on, whether you are a Fed Defense Squatter, an Inokiist, whether you are a traditionalist, whether you are a Pro Defense Squatter, a Gato Defense Squatter, whether you're a CMLL Defense Squatter, mm-hmm. no, I don't care what your take in wrestling is. We all hate that that mangy, crappy beard. It's the one thing that unites all wrestling fans across the board. It is truly the thing that that crosses all dividing lines and unites us. And I think unanimously, the wrestling world rejoiced to see this beard trimmed up. Yes, beard was trimmed up. the The mohawk was down and combed over. Yeah, fresh dye job. I do still have a problem with him dyeing the beard, but that's a that's a matter for a different day and different time. Uh, you know, beggars can't be choosers, and yeah, he's still dyeing the beard, which is terrible. But he did groom up, which is kind of nice. It just makes me wonder, though, if you know you should be doing this all the time, why aren't you doing this all the time, <laughs> Saya? Um, and, you know, and I'm gonna be calling Saya from now on because that's who he is. <laughs> uh, X Division Saya. Um, but a uh, big story going into this match is the fact that Sonata is 0-5 in singles matches against uh, Okada. And so, you know, they had this kind of rivalry going, but Sonata has never been able to beat Okada. Do you think, uh, before we discuss the match, do you think Sonata coming out with the old school look, which I think will probably just be a one-off, mm-hmm. do you think that he came off looking to you like a star or do you think it was kind of gimmicky what were you what was your thought on it what did you think uh i don't know i'm kind of in between i i thought it was cool um because you know i've seen him like that when he was in when in uh tna um doing the x division so i thought that was kind of a cool little flashback moment um i don't know man i i don't think it was super gimmicky but at the same time i don't think it's gonna really push him towards the top either that's kind of what i was wondering because i think we all agree it was a cool like throwback you know which was nice but the question has remained for a while now when are they going to push this guy when is he going to step into his full potential and you know kind of break out you know everyone's wondering and i i did have that thought like is this look right and obviously again we i understand it's a it's a one-off but did he come off looking like a true star in that moment or was this just something kind of nice and kind of cool and I was wondering what other people's opinions were on that because yeah, we I wasn't sure we'll get to it in a second we have a lot of questions about Sonata um, after this match Uh-oh. Um, but uh, I don't know if it's a, a hot take or not but I thought this match was was just I don't want to say just okay but I, I wasn't in love with it Like I wasn't either I, I I agree with you. I give it uh you know four stars flat. It's the gentleman's I, four. Yeah, a gentleman's <laughs> four, uh, a friendly four. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know what's funny about four stars? They're so you know I'm a big fan of '80s wrestling, obviously, and I've done a lot of '80s rewatching projects. And anytime I'm like scouring the internet for recommended matches, if I would see a four star match from like say '81, I'm like, oh my god, I've got to watch that. <laughs> I have to see it 
because something like that is so rare. But nowadays, it's like, ain't nobody got time for four stars. Exactly. No, but actually, I, I don't want to bury this match too much. I actually thought this was a good main event, but it does fall under the lofty standards that we've become accustomed to when it comes to um, Okada main event title matches on big shows. And I think it fell quite a bit short of the recent matches that Okada and Sonata have had, whether yeah. it was their big match last year or the match they had at the New Japan Cup this past year as well. Yeah, the New Japan Cup final match I uh, enjoyed way better. I was like four and a half on that match. I agree. Um, but this match here, I just don't know what it was. I mean, it had a, they had a lot of time. A lot of time. It almost I mean, went 40 minutes. Yeah, it was a long, long match. Um, slow pace. Uh you know, at one point, you know, it seemed like maybe they were going to go 60-minute draw for the the pacing of the match they were doing. I never thought that that – that thought never came into my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something I like to think about. <laughs> <laughs> like, when we watched that Jay Lethal and um, – Taven. And Taven match, and I, like, and when it dawned on me they're going 60, I was like, ugh. But, um, yeah, this was a slower pace. Um, that's not to say that the that the the um, wrestling wasn't performed well because they were definitely wrestling well, but it was definitely very slowed down, very methodical. A lot of limb work early on, a lot of grappling, and you know, kind of fighting for positions and that sort of thing, which has its place in time. But I just think the pacing was a little wonky early on in this match. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how this one is going to be rated by critics and fans because, like I mentioned, uh, you know, Rich was over here. And I was showing him some of the stuff from Don Taku. So this is my second time when I watched it back, and he was watching it. He was like, man, I'm so happy to have, you know, Okada back in the main events, and I love this match. He loved the match? Yeah, he loved the match. And I like, I didn't really say anything, but in my head I was like, uh. you know what? You know what this match had me thinking? I miss Jay White. <laughs> I said to myself, this is not Jay White's pro wrestling. <laughs> that man was having consistent four and a half star matches. No, um, I'm just playing, obviously. I, I did think this match was good. Don't get me wrong. I, yes. thought it, I thought it was very good. It was good, but I was expecting great. For what they've been able to deliver on in the past, and I've gone on record and said how much I enjoyed their... T- even though I think I'm in the minority here, I really enjoyed their um, title match last year. Where was that? It was early on in the year. It was uh, New Beginning? Yeah. I really enjoyed their New Beginning match. I think more so than most people. Um, but, you know, given the fact that we're a year apart and the great build and the interactions we've seen between these guys and all these multi-man matches... I did expect something a little more high octane. And you know what? I think some of the blame, and I know it's almost like uh, blasphemous to say this, I think some of the blame goes on Okada. Mm. Okada matches have become, over the past however many years, and it's not a strong criticism, don't get me wrong. Uh, obviously, Okada is one of my top favorite wrestlers of all time, but. There is a formula, just like a lot of great wrestlers have their formulas. We kind of know what we're getting out of a big Okada match, and there's an expectation of it to go a long time. There's an expectation for it to be built in a certain manner and to have a certain kind of close and drama to it. And sometimes when you're aiming to do that all the time, 
you can kind of get lost in the shuffle, especially if you don't have the right dance partner. And this kind of felt like they were aiming for too much and not, they didn't simplify this match enough. They didn't uh, get right down to it. And, you know, the, I just feel like the pacing was off a, a bit. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder how many people that are listening to this right now disagree with us and like loved it because I haven't, you know, I haven't heard a lot. I, obviously, I'm not on Twitter like you are. I don't know yeah. what the general consensus is. But from the from what I've listened to and what I've read, I haven't seen a lot of um, match reviewers or a lot of opinions where people are like, this was, you know, fantastic. It, it seems to be a consensus from what I've seen where people are like, this was pretty good. Yeah, and uh, the average for the rating on Grapple, the Grapple app, is uh, 3.95. So that's like literally four stars. Yeah, so it seems like, you know, at least the majority of the people who use Grapple or kind of in our camp uh, weren't really uh, digging this match like um, some other people might. Hmm. Very, very, very interesting. I'm going to look up the Dunt, uh, the cage match uh, reviewers and see what they said about this. Yeah, but, you know, um, in this match, obviously there was a um, Sonata was working the skull in. And um, there was a spot, a really long spot, where Sonata had him in the skull in, and Sonata would kind of, or Akai would pop his head out because he really didn't have the skull in locked in properly, like he should, around the neck. So he was able to kind of pop his head out. Uh, Did you notice though that he's been applying it way stronger than he had in the past? Yes. Yeah. There, there's been a lot of times in the row two shows on, on some of these other matches, he was locking it in tighter. The general consensus on cage match is 7.42, which is out of 10. So that's even falling short of an 8, which would essentially be four. a 4. So even on there, uh, the consensus is you know not, not in line with what big Okada matches tend to be. Yeah. Um, but they, I, I will say this, though. Even though they had a slow start, they did bring the crowd back into it later on in the match, and they still had a great close. Yeah, I mean, Sonata and Okada are super popular. I think a lot of times people kind of underestimate just how popular Sonata Sonata is. is. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we we talked about the attendance for night one. Well, here for night two, last year's night one was a sellout. This year's night, or last last year's night two was a sellout, and this year's night two was also a sellout. I have a hot take. Yeah, just because we're talking about the popularity of Sonata, and I wanted to kind of ask you what your opinion was on this. So all throughout this tour, we've been watching all these multi-man matches with Lij, and for over a year and a half, for seventy-five episodes, we consistently get on the air and we say how this is the most cohesive wrestling unit we've ever seen. These guys put on the best multi-man matches consistently. Do you think that? There is a strong case to be made that Lij might be the best in-ring faction of all time. Because I thought about that while I was watching all these multi-man matches, and I, it dawned on me. I said, "I cannot think of a better multi-man yeah. unit that has ever existed." Now, that being said, there's probably some pro heads here who are like, "Well, what about you know the the do hearts or you know all there, there's a bunch of like." Dragon Gate is a company that has had super workers with – they're known for their multi-man matches. And so there's a good chance that I don't know enough about that product to – and I'm probably missing the boat and there's probably been better. 
But when I think about like, you know, all these factions we love and we talk about, you know, the Four Horsemen or the NWO or DX or, or you know, or the Shield, or, or the shield <laughs> um, I don't think anything I've ever seen from any of those guys or any major company, even the Bullet Club, like is anywhere close to what we've consistently seen out of LIJ. Yeah. So not just their popularity, but also the, the, the cohesiveness and, and the action. And I think that that's one thing that speaks to the fact that Sonata is so popular. Like people who maybe aren't as familiar with the Japanese market don't realize that each individual guy is seen as a huge star in Japan, mm-hmm. Sonata included. I mean, each guy is literally like a single star and a yeah. tag star and a, and a unit star. Like all mm-hmm. of them are over as, like, as crap. Yeah. Uh, so towards the end of this match here, Okada ends up hitting the spinning tombstone, falls up by the Rainmaker, gets the win at 38 minutes and 3 seconds. This was the longest match out of their series. Um, let's dive into some of these questions we have about this match in Sonata. Okay. So uh, Reddit user Jai Bryan, he says, how cool did Sonata look in his new gear? Really cool. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we kind of touched on that, you know, us, you know, kind of watching Impact and kind of seeing him uh, kind of a throwback, kind of a nod to Seiya Sonata from Impact. I thought he looked really cool. I think it looked really cool. I think it was kind of nice for fans who are familiar with his previous, uh, you know, iterations and characters from Wrestle 1 and TNA. Um, I also thought, obviously, I think the majority of fans reasonably the consensus was that he had no chance of beating Okada here on this particular evening. So to do something, you know, we always talk about when guys are going to win titles or have big moments that they, you know, maybe they'll bring it out a band to introduce them or maybe they'll wear all white or do something special. So I think adding that little element to the opening of this match kind of caused, I know for me, it gave me pause for a moment where I was like, Oh wait, what? Yeah. Like maybe he's going to win. Maybe he's going to win. And I think that that was effective. Yeah. Uh, next question from Reddit user Asai Yojimbo. He says, what is your opinion on the rivalry, in quotes, between Sonata and Okada? Do you think Sonata will one day emerge as a top guy in New Japan worthy of unseating the Rainmaker? Well, at this point, Sonata falls to 0-6 against Okada. And I believe at the end of the match, he called Okada his great rival, right? Uh, so, o- Okada called Sonata his great rival. Okay, gotcha. Somebody that his it's his age. Yeah, so they're a similar age, and he called him a great rival. And I think some people scoff at that, obviously, because Okada's been nothing if not dominant when it comes to this series. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the question has been arising for a long time from fans, like when it we talked about it. When is Sonata going to break out? And I think they are laying the groundwork. For the potential that at some point Sonata needs to get some sort of victory over Okada, whether that be in a tournament match like a G1 or a New Japan Cup or whether that mm. be for the title. Um, now, whether they actually go that way and do it is yet to be seen. And I actually got to tell you, I don't have strong confidence at this point today that they ever will do that. But if they decide to, they have laid the groundwork for a story that is still to be told. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely it's kind of setting up the, the foundation for that story and that push. Um, yeah, the, you know, the fact that Okada, you know, calls him one of his greatest rivals is, is kind of very interesting. And I feel, I, to me, I, I kind of see it almost as like an anime 
in which like Okada is like this, you know, super powerful guy. Sonata's a guy that wants to beat him. And every time he gets a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer, but eventually gets defeated. And then eventually, I think, you know, Sonata will get to that like next level to where he can um, finally beat Okada. So what you're telling me is that Okada is Goku and Sonata is Vegeta and he needs to go Majin to be able to beat this man. Yes. <laughs> can you tell I've been watching a lot of Dragon Ball lately? <laughs> Have you been? Well, I've been watching uh, Dragon Ball Super. Lately? Yeah. Nice. Uh, oh, that's right. I watched an episode with you. Yeah. We need to talk about it afterwards. Uh, yeah. Who's winning this tournament is what I need to know. <laughs> yeah, the tournament of power. The tournament of power. Which universe is going to survive? <laughs> uh, yeah, so do you think he's worthy of unseating the Rainmaker? Well, nobody is worthy of unseating the Rainmaker. <laughs> you you have to be lucky to unseat the Rainmaker. Yeah. Um, that, that remains yet to be seen. And like I said, my, my thoughts on it right now is I don't know that they ever go with Sonata. Personally, I don't know that they ever do do that. Um, if they decide to do that, my thought is, and I could be wrong here, maybe I'm rocking the boat too much, but I almost feel like he needs to break off from LIJ to become his own man if he's ever going to be elevated to that next level. It's mm. an interesting take there. There. Do you think? Do you agree, or do you think that there's room for him to be a top guy and an ace in? A company that's or in a group that's full of top guys and aces. Yeah, um, I feel he can definitely succeed being an LIJ. I could see him being like an IC champion. I could see him getting to like a Shinsuke Nakamura level. Uh, but I mean specifically like to be the ace. Yeah, to be the yeah. IWGP champion. That, that would be a weird dynamic if he's a champion and still kind of under Naito. Um, so yeah, I think. Potentially to to get him there, he needs to break off. Or do you think that there's room for them to potentially have multiple top guys in the same group and still keep that group alive, keep that merch money rolling, and maybe even have inter um, faction faction match. matches? Maybe him and Naito fight over the title. But it, I gotta tell you, I think for him to take that next level and be seen as a true superstar, not just in the fans of J- Japanese fans, but in the eyes of in the fans of fans, in the eyes of Japanese fans, but also in the eyes of the greater wrestling world, I think he's got to break off. That's my take, anyways. Yeah. Next question from Reddit user CFC Champions: Is Sonata really as good as people say he is, or is he overhyped? His match with Okada didn't really click for me, and while the New Japan Cup final was great. Their other match in Osaka last year didn't do much for me either. Um, I don't think he's overhyped. That's my, I mean, that's a simple answer. I don't think he's overhyped. I, I can see what you're saying. In a vacuum, if you just look at you know, a couple matches of his and maybe they don't live up to your expectations, um, it would be easy to say, you know, um, this guy is overhyped. But you could do that with, you could do that with Okada here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You can do that with anybody. You can take a, a small sample of the body of their work and say, oh, okay, they had a couple of matches that disappointed. They're not what we thought they were. But if you've watched Sonata for any length of time, and maybe your opinion's different than mine, he's been nothing but excellent. He is a very, very, very talented guy. Yeah, he's super talented. And I don't, I don't feel like he is a guy that you know is overhyped or overrated. But um, do you think I, that, do you think that it could be fair to be said that sometimes he is underrated? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I think people underestimate just how popular he is, and they underestimate just how great a wrestler he is. Because you know, a lot of times throughout the year, 
he's in a tag team with Evil, but even still in tag team action, I mean, they do great work as a tag team and kind of hold that heavyweight tag division down while they're competing in it. Sonata's uh, great. But I do agree with you, CFC, about this match not clicking. It didn't click for you. It didn't really click for me either. I agree with this match being that way. I liked their match last year, though, personally. Yeah. Uh, next question from our boy NJPWEXT, our boy Danny behind the New Japan extension. What up, Danny? He says, what is the single worst move in all of NJPW, and why is it Sonata's Paradise Lock? Am I the only one that finds it unacceptably immersion-breaking? Um, before we answer this question, am I wrong in misquoting Danny and saying that he said to us before that we were his favorite New Japan podcast? He did say that, yeah. That is such a compliment and an honor coming from the man who designed the uh, NJPW extension. So that that like that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we ran to him at New York after uh, MSG. Uh, I was somewhere else. I, <laughs> I was having a, I was having quite a night. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, I think I've said on the air before, and just thinking off the top of my head, I think my least favorite move in New Japan is the Paradise Lock. Yeah, you know, for me, like, I get it. Yeah. It, it's part of the gimmick, something he does. every. It doesn't really bother me. For me, it's one of those, like, ha-ha kind of things, like, I'm in on the joke, like, he does it. It doesn't really bother me. The, the, uh, the, the Skullin actually bothers me more in the Paradise Lock when he doesn't lock it in properly. I agree. Well, no, I don't agree with what you just said, but I agree with you in the fact that if you're going to lock in the Skull End, you need to lock it in like a Dragon Sleeper. Now, he has been, so I'm assuming that Sonata's been listening to our takes and been some somehow it's getting relayed to him that we are criticizing the move and he's been locking it up because of what we've said. So <laughs> you're welcome, Sonata. But in no way could I possibly say that the skull end is a worse move than the paradise lock. No, in in theory, the skull end is a better move. But when he doesn't lock it in properly, I'm just like, just I guess. Now I know for you, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I think your least loved and and the the most hated move that anyone does in New Japan is uh, Yoshihashi's butterfly lock. Am I correct? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> That thing is freaking horrible. <laughs> My God, Jeremy's face right now—just just the utter disdain, the utter disgust, the hate, the vitriol. My yeah. God, yeah, that thing. Yeah, Yoshiaki's butterfly lock is the worst. It's really, really bad. And I'm trying to think of other moves I don't like in New Japan. I think that's probably one of the most hated. But with that being said, um, I really hate the Paradise Lock now. I think the Paradise Lock has a good time and place. Like, I liked it during the Yano match during G1 last year. Mm -hmm. But it's a comedy move. And it's like, anything can get over with anybody. I mean, one of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling, The Rock, did the people's elbow. And I'll never forget Mick Foley cutting the promo. I will not sell the elbow. I will not sell it here. I will not sell it there. (laughs) And which was always, it just always popped me because yeah. they're using such insider terms. But yeah. um, with that being said, I really think it's one of those things where it's like, could, could he be a top guy and get over the, the paradise lock? Well, sure. I mean, I get, anybody can get anything over. But I really hate watching it because it doesn't make very much logical sense at all. Um, there's no reason that 
folding someone's legs over someone <laughs> else's arms is going to keep them in a lock that they can't get out of. I like, actually, you know, I like the old move where guys would get tied up in a ball and then couldn't get out and then they end up rolling around the ring. Yeah. That's kind of like a funny spot. But these are like lower mid-card comedy act spots that like they've got their place but not in the main event. And I I don't know if I really like that move at all. It's one of the moves I hate the most in, in Japanese wrestling. So I agree with you, Danny. I'm right there with you. It's... It does not make sense. Yeah, I mean, like especially I guess you know in a new a serious title match, it can kind of throw you off. It's like this: if the guy's in a, in a paradise lock and he really can't move, why don't you just drop a giant knee on his neck and kill him? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, or, or why don't you just like go on the other end and put him in a front face lock and choke him unconscious? Like, you can do anything to him at that point. Yeah, but instead you're gonna kick him in the butt because that's what the spot calls for. And I get it. It's it's uh um. What's his name? Uh, Milano Collection, Collection AT's move. It gets a big pop because of the history, but I hate it. I hate it. I, I, I do hate it more than the butterfly <laughs> lock. Oh man, it's awful. Next question from Dom Homie One Hundred One. He says, "Do you guys think there's a chance of NJPW bringing in the Great Muda to do something with Sonata and Lij?" Not likely. Yeah, I feel like. Got that kind of one-off appearance in the uh, Honor Rumble. But, yeah, I, I don't think we'll be seeing Muta in uh, New Japan anytime soon. I guess maybe if they do, like, a Rambo this year, maybe we'll, he'll pop up in that. But I don't think they'll bring him in for anything with Sonata or LIJ. All I know is that man retired twice, and he's still out here getting paydays. This, man, <laughs> this man's on Terry Funk status right now. <laughs> Uh, next question from Rambone Slam Pig. He says, "What did you guys think about that night two main event? Do you see it as a step forward for Sonata standing in the company as a credible star?" I do actually. Even though we have criticisms of the overall match, ultimately I think he was shown to be a credible challenger. I thought he looked more credible in this match than any other match he's had with with uh, Okada. And even though it wasn't my favorite match of theirs, I thought he looked very credible and came off as having a good accounting of himself. I mean, what did you think? Yeah, and I mean, this was a, a big show. Wrestling Dantaku was a pretty big show. It was a sellout with him in the advertised in the main event. So it shows you that he, he can draw in a big title match main event. shows you how popular it is, that he's a credible star. He's somebody that they can count on in the future Um for main events on different tours, yeah. Uh, so I definitely think it elevated his stock in that in that in that case. I agree. Uh, next question from our boy Muzza. He says, "Do you think Sonata could be eventually IWGP Heavyweight Champion?" He could, but um, I mean, what they're in their early thirties, uh, 32, something like that. Something like that, I believe. Yeah. So it's possible. But I think many of the topics and suggestions that we have talked about earlier in the show still apply here. Right now, if you had to give me, and actually, let me ask you before I give an answer. Do you yes or no? Do you think that it's or do you think it's more likely or less likely that he ever wins that title? I think it's less likely. I agree. Right now, I think it is less likely that he ever wins an IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Could it happen? Absolutely. But there's a whole list of guys in my mind that have never held the belt that 
are more likely to win it between now and then. And, and, and nothing's promised in the wrestling industry. I think it's less likely, especially right. with the fact that Sonata's not signed to an exclusive full-time contract with New Japan. He is technically a freelancer. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things, too, with the, the way they protected the IWGP title. Um, not everybody gets a turn. Not everybody gets to be champion. There will be some great wrestlers who will retire and not be the IWGP champion. Do you think in seven years we get this Kofi Kingston run out of Seiya Sonata? <laughs> it's going to do it for the culture. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, after this uh, defense, successful defense by Okada, he's celebrating his victory. Uh, lights go out, video starts playing, and it is Jericho. Break the walls down! The pain maker, as he's calling himself now. Um, so we get a video from the pain maker, Chris Jericho, saying he's coming to challenge for the IWGP championship at Dominion. Um, he says he's going to win. He's going to win. He's going to win! A <laughs> uh, couple things. This... Uh, video package, which did interrupt uh, Okada's post-match, uh, you know, statements and and promo. Um, I liked it better than the creepy promo videos that we were getting from Bray Wyatt in WWE. Yeah, I think I in our group thread, I was like, yeah, like uh, creepy Jericho videos are greater than creepy Bray Wyatt videos. Which, by the way, I kind of actually like the the Bray Wyatt videos. <laughs> I like the early Wyatt family stuff, but I don't know. Like, I've just never been a huge fan of Bray Wyatt in general. But I mean, I'm not either, but I kind of think it's interesting what they're doing. I think it's really creepy and really weird stuff. Oh, you're talking about the stuff now? Yeah. Oh, the Funhouse stuff? I uh, think the Funhouse stuff is interesting. Mm. It's either going to be a, a huge thing or it's going to be a huge failure, one or the other. Yeah. But um, beyond that... Um, I'm going to do this real quick, and this is a first for our show. I am going to take my official Jostradamus victory lap. One moment. Ladies and gentlemen, the young boy is actually running around the table right now. And uh, don't worry. Don't worry, young boy. Um, I warned the Twitter followers that this was coming, and several <laughs> of them re- responded with the uh, rolling eyes emoji. <laughs> They, they knew that you were going to put yourself over, that you were going to take this victory lap. Uh, so go ahead. I get, took I took my victory lap. Anything else? Do you want to get it out? You want to put yourself over? That you, you got it right? I want names of those who rolled their eyes. <laughs> That's what I want. Oh, man. Listen, um, I'm not going to put myself over. It's fine. Um, you know, there's every likelihood. There's a million reasons why it might not have been Jericho and why... This could hypothetically not have worked out this way, but I felt it in my gut. I felt it in my bones, and I had the vision, as we like to say on this show. And this is the most marketable and attainable, reasonable match that they could have possibly done. It made all the sense in the world to me, and I was so happy to find out that they actually were going to go this way, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I'm very excited about it, too. I think it was a great way to go. Um, just give us something special, something unique, something different for this title reign for Okada and for Dominion. That's a big, must-see match for a big pay-per-view. That's going to definitely help 
um, draw. And this is what, two weeks after Double or Nothing? Yeah, two weeks after Double or Nothing. So he's going to face Kenny Omega at Double or Nothing, and then he'll face I think, I think he's beating Kenny. Yeah, I think he's beating Kenny too. Mm. Especially to set this matchup. Uh, I think it makes all sense. You you beat the former IWGP champion, Kenny Omega, and then you go in Ooh. to Dominion to face the current champion. So is this going to be the de facto AEW champion? <laughs> the lineal AEW champion yeah. taking on the IWGP champion? Yeah, you know. Uh, we better not say that on the air because <laughs> we might need to cut that out of this uh, episode because that might, that might lead them to uh, change their mind about the booking decisions. Yeah, you know, uh, Jericho and Omega, they popped up at an indie show in Georgia. Like one day before this, right? Yeah, actually, um, you know, now friends of the show, um, uh, Megan and um, Rachel and those girls from Georgia, um, they're at that um, at the show. The Georgia crew. Yeah. Our the Bulldog jo- crew. Yeah, our Bulldog crew. Um, yeah, they were, they were out at the show. Um, and got to see the uh, Omega and uh, Jericho angle, kind of heating that up. So, yeah, um, very curious to see, you know, what they're going to go with uh, Jericho here. We uh, don't have a lot of questions about this. Uh, yeah, just one question from Reddit user. I'm surprised. Uh, Eater of Bread, uh, do you think we'll see much of Jericho before Dominion to build a storyline for his match with Okada? Is there a chance for him winning the championship? Okay, so let's think about it. Uh, Dominion is in early June, right? Yes, June 9th. So the only what the only big show between now and then is Best Super Junior Finals? Yeah, June 5th. June 5th and then June 9th is... Dominion. So it's like a few days after? Yeah. I always forget. It always is. Isn't yeah. If, if he, yeah, that's probably where he'll make his, his appearance. He'll probably show up at best of the Super Juniors. It's a few days before. It's shortly after his match at Double or Nothing. I don't think we're going to see much of him. If we get anything, it's probably going to be built over social media. It's yeah. probably going to be built with store, uh, with uh, video packages. And then he will probably make some sort of appearance, whether it's advertised or a surprise, during the best Super Juniors finals. I wouldn't be surprised to see either some sort of press conference altercation between them. Or even a surprise attack or run-in during, a, like, let's say, a tag match at Best Best Super Juniors Finals. Yeah. That's very reasonable. It's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. Also, I just want to give a quick shout-out to, also to uh, Kevin Crawford, who's part of that uh, Georgia crew, uh, posting up some pics and videos on the gram and Twitter on the uh, Jericho Omega stuff. What um I mean when you found out that Jericho was going to be the next challenger and you knew that I had accurately predicted this turn of events what was your thoughts in in terms of me as being like your co-host and in terms of me being an accurate <laughs> predictor like what did what were your initial thoughts and reactions well, well first of all we, we got to kind of bury rich ladder for a second because <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he uh, infected the thread with uh spoilers bro our thread's supposed to be a safe haven and a place of refuge and it's a it's it's Filled with landmines and filled with spoilers. My God. <laughs> it's funny. You know, I woke up that morning. I was like, you know what? I should be pretty safe. No I'll, one's had time to even watch the show yet, Rich. I, I'll stay off Twitter. I'll be off Facebook. You know, I'll leave the messenger thread. It should be fine. Then Rich sends like a, a tweet from NJPW. I, I didn't click on it. I'm like, oh, I'm not clicking on that. <laughs> but then he follows up with, oh, Josh, got it right. I was like, Damn it, I know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> he's like, shout out to my dog, Josh Tradomus. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, congratulations Thanks. on uh, getting that prediction right. You you get the big ones. I do. You, man. Got, you got the six star. Um, yes. Match rating correct. That's uh, why people turn tune into this show. <laughs> <laughs> your your show, right? Yeah. If you guys didn't hear me on uh, NXT, then now forever. He was like. You're a co-host with Jeremy. I was like, no, I am the host of Keeping It Strong Style. Jeremy is featured as my co-host. Mm, burying you. Yeah. Burying you in these streets. Uh, before we move on, let's discuss this because I'm not on Twitter a lot, but I did see fan – not well, not fan. IWC outrage at the double standard and the – inconsistencies about people who would praise a part-timer who would won no matches to warrant an immediate title shot like Chris Jericho but this, those same fans turn around and bury the likes of Batista and Triple H and Undertaker and any number of, and Brock Lesnar and any number of part-timers from WWE who are in quote-unquote similar situations and what are so let's talk about it because this seemed to be a fed defense squad um you know point of outrage and point of uh you know just anger yeah the uh you know the, the heroes of the fed defense squad they they came out in full force to uh defend the WWE part-timers. And if you're going to be upset about those part-timers, then why aren't you mad about Jericho coming in and getting an immediate towel shot? Here's what I'll say. I've got some thoughts, too. It's a totally different scenario. In New Japan Pro Wrestling, you don't have this influx of part-timers that are coming in all the time. Mm-hmm. In recent years, you've had Jericho. And when he's coming in... He's coming in for a big match, and he's not working another part-timer. You're not getting Chris Jericho versus Tenzon. You're not getting Chris Jericho versus Nakanishi or some other old-timer or part-timer that can't go. You're getting a fresh dream match. You're getting Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega. You're getting Chris Jericho versus Naito. Now you're getting Chris Jericho versus <clears throat> excuse me, Chris Jericho versus Okada. Um, so you're getting big, fresh matchups. Um, in WWE, you get a card that's full of part-timers. You look at WrestleMania over the last few years, you get cards full of part-timers. And most of the time, those part-timers are going against each other. And those part-timers are washed. And they're just making a joke of themselves and not putting out a good performance. And then the few part-timers that are wrestling up-and-coming talent, most of the time they are beating your up-and-coming talent. For example, Brock Lesnar beating Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 33. Um, So there's definitely a lot of just different booking philosophies in the way both these companies handle part-timers and bring them in. Yes, uh, I agree with everything you've said. I've got a couple things to add to that. Okay, one, when part-timers are having these matches in WWE, now I know that there's a different standard of work rate and a different standard of match quality, and maybe to people who are fans of WWE, that's less important to the quote-unquote stories. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, um, 
I can't think of the last time Triple H came in and had a match quality to the level that Jericho's having. I can't think of the last Wrestle, time. WrestleMania 30, Daniel Bryan. Since then. Yeah. Well, I, I, get, I could have if off the top of my head, but I'm just saying for, for the effects of what I'm saying. Oh, my bad. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, because we could go back and name most of these guys. I'm going to say the same thing about Undertaker, and you, we could recall his last great match, probably Punk, but like it's a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Same thing with with Triple H. Um, same thing with Batista. Same now. Brock Lesnar's a little bit different, but you know, for the most part, there's been plenty of people who've criticized his, you know, reign. Yeah, his match. Just they just get formulaic. Same thing with Bill Goldberg. Same thing with any number of part timers that have been brought back and dredged up. The other thing is they do it all the, the time, time, especially on big shows. And A, none of these guys are having match quality to the level that Chris Jericho has. Okay, that's one part. Number two, in New Japan, and it might be a criticism, it might be a little bit of a logical fallacy. But it is not unheard of for somebody who didn't necessarily earn, quote-unquote, even though wins and losses matter, and they have plenty of different ways to establish champions, whether it be winning a number one contender match, whether it be winning a tournament to earn your title shot, or to pin the champion in a tag multi-man match. Those are all valid ways that people get title shots. Another way people get title shots sometimes is just show up and call out the champion and create a personal feud which seems to be what has happened in this case we're used to that that is the part of the booking philosophy of new japan pro wrestling um and again it doesn't happen all the time it happens once in a while people are used to it and if you are a big enough star to be able to do that it's not like it happens every month or multiple times a year it's like once or twice a year that it really happens and when it happens, it's great. <laughs> it, it is great. And the matches are great. The other thing, too, is that, like you said, Jericho's not coming in and wrestling a bunch of guys that he has wrestled time and time again. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of these names that we've mentioned are guys who come in and they're only willing to work with guys that they've worked with before. You know, Undertaker's not coming in and putting over AJ Styles. He's not coming in and putting over a Ricochet. You know, you're not seeing Triple H come in. And not to say that those guys haven't done stuff for for the industry or given back or whatever, but at this point in time, that's not what you're getting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what Jericho's doing. Jericho is giving us fresh matchups with guys that he's never wrestled before. He is keeping himself relevant and in the limelight to a point to where he is probably a bigger star than those guys. Maybe not in actuality in the sense that they're part of a bigger company and they've got more people who know who they are. So I'm not trying to be ridiculous in what I'm saying. But relatively speaking, he's the biggest outside star that is coming into New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know what I mean? Right. And he's wrestling other big stars and he's elevating them. And that's not what those guys are doing at all. They're actually taking up spots of younger guys who probably deserve to be where those guys once were. Jericho's not coming in as a nostalgia act. He's not a nostalgia act. Right. Number three, you have to hearken back to the philosophy of one Paul Heyman, who has always said that in a wrestling company, there is plenty of room to have one older aging star to come in and add his influence, his star power, his name value, his experience, 
and to put over younger talent and show them the way. That's what Jericho is. That's not what, you know, now if they were bringing in Batista, Brock Lesnar, Bill Goldberg, The Undertaker, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, then we'd have a problem. But that's not what's happening here. <laughs> We've got one, one guy, one relevant, great wrestler who's coming in, putting on great stories, having great matches. It is not the same thing. And you would know it if you were watching the freaking product. But you're not. You're sitting on Twitter looking for reasons to complain about some crap that you don't even watch, man. And when I say man, I'm talking to all of you who's who have this take. It's really an idiotic take. To There's... There are some things that I see people who are like, quote unquote, Fed Defense Squad or say where I'm like, well, there's some validity to that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is one where you are completely wrong. Like you are dead, dead wrong when you say this. You're just butt hurt because this guy's going over and helping make a new company and coming over to New Japan and helping build them up and, and build stars. And like you can't handle it. Right. It's stupid. Yeah. Those are my like three big takes that A, this guy is the one and only guy who's doing this in the whole company. Number two. He's putting on amazing matches and amazing stories. And then number three, um, you know, he is well, – I guess those are all my points. And, dude, yeah, you nail those points. I agree with you 100%. And it's, it's just – Oh, and they're all fresh matchups. That's my third point. He's putting over younger talent and he's coming in and he's elevating the product and putting over new guys. Yeah, and you know, people are like, oh, well, he, he beat Naito. But guess what? Who won the feud? Naito. Yeah. Yeah, he put over Naito. He made he 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 helped build and make Naito a bigger star. So yeah. So yeah. So uh, that wraps up our wrestling Dontaku review. I got one last question for you regarding this. Uh, yeah. Any chance? At oh wait, all? there was a part of the question that we didn't answer. Okay. Uh, he says, "Do we think that uh, there's a chance of Jericho beating Okada?" Um, <laughs> part of part of me says. Gato's crazy enough to do that. We didn't think he was going to beat Naito for the title. Yeah. But in actuality, I really don't think that's a likely scenario. With I, the G1 right around the corner. And I think AEW throws a wrinkle in that too. That's the other thing as well. I think Jericho's coming in because this is a match he's always wanted. I think it's a match New Japan has always wanted. It's a match the fans have always wanted. And it's a match where Jericho can take the loss... Obviously, it's the second biggest show of the year. Maybe with this matchup, it might wind up being the biggest show of the year, in, in all honesty, yeah. business-wise. I don't yeah. know. And um, I think it's highly, highly unlikely that Jericho's winning the belt. Yeah, I think it's very unlikely as well. I mean, there's always a chance, but I, I feel like there's a little bit too much politics involved with having Jericho win the belt. That's what my next question for you was going to be before we move on to questions. Any chance that this is an indication that the relationship between AEW and New Japan is starting to soften or that it could create inroads to where there could be a working relationship between them? And how does that play into Ring of Honor? Uh, I don't think it's really softened anything between New Japan and AEW. Um, when Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega designed their AEW contracts, it was written in their contracts for those two guys in uh, particular to be allowed to work for New Japan Pro Wrestling if New Japan wanted to use those guys. So that's a special situation for Jericho and Omega. We're finally seeing them act on that clause and using Jericho right now. 
Um, so I really don't think that kind of does anything for the, the New Japan AEW relationship right now. Now, for New Japan, they might see, you know, having Jericho in the main event of Dominion is a big success for them. Uh, subscription numbers go up. That might, might make them want to act on the Kenny Clause. And then that might that might have them thinking, maybe we can contact some of these elite guys and try and get that clause in their contracts as well to use some of those guys on their big shows for New Japan. Uh, That's a good answer. Uh, but I, I'm not, again, you know, I don't, you know, a lot of people after G1 Supercard, they want the Ring of Honor relationship to be over with. I, I don't think New Japan's going to cut things off so quickly. Um, I still think they're going to work with Ring of Honor. You know, we've got the War of the Worlds tour com- coming up. Um, there's going to be a lot of co promoted Ring of Honor New Japan stuff the rest of this year. Um, you know, as much as I am hyped for AEW. They have not had their first show yet. Their distribution model has not been announced yet. Uh, from a New Japan side, New Japan is a very conservative com- company. They're going to play it safe. They're going to continue to work with Ring of Honor until they see the full-out game plan of what exactly AEW is. And we also got to remember that AEW is working with companies that New Japan typically wouldn't work with either so that could cause some um hesitancy with wanting to start something up with AEW great answer we'll we'll keep uh monitoring this situation as it unfolds I do hope down the line just out of pure um selfishness that there does develop that this does develop into some sort of working relationship yeah same here you know I would love that but yeah we'll 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 keep we will keep up on this story as time goes on all right, now we have a bunch of off-topic questions I that we'll run it. through. I love it. Uh, first question, um, emailed in from my man, Joel. Uh, ran to him at Shimmer at New York WrestleMania weekend. Um, he says, keep up the good work. His question is, what are the three matches you are most hopeful to see at Best of the Super Juniors? Hoo-hoo. I wasn't ready for this question. <laughs> Ah, I don't even have the comparison for me. I mean, okay, number one for me is Shingo and Will Ospreay. Okay, I'm right there with you. That's my number one also. Um, after that, I don't know. Um, I have to look at the competitors. Uh, I would say Shingo and Sho. That's one I'm very much anticipating. Um... Uh, I don't know if they're going to be the same block. What about a uh, Dragon Lee Bandito? Ooh, everybody in Bandito. <laughs> everybody in Bandito. Everybody in Shingo. Pretty much. Um, I'm really looking forward to Jonathan Gresham being in the tournament. But I don't know who I'm excited to see him wrestle necessarily because of his unique style. Mm-hmm. Um. Man, that's a tough question. That's a really okay. Um, I'll throw I'll throw out a couple matches that I would be excited to see. I don't know if they will happen. Shingo and Will Ospreay is number one. Number two, I really would like to see Bandito and Dragon Lee. That I feel like that would be that's 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 flame written all over it. Yeah, and then number three, I'll throw out. Um, Man, 
I think Bandito and Shingo would be really good. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many potential matchups that I'm just like, wow. I mean, everything would be great. I would love to see Bandito and Will Ospreay again. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many great match potentials. And, you know, next week we'll give our full preview of that tournament. And by then the block announcement should be out. We'll be able to break down the blocks, break down all the competitors, uh, and give you guys our predictions of where we think the tournament's going. I can't wait. I'm excited. So next question comes from friend of the show, Dan Coffin. Our boy Dan. Yes, he attends the uh, Largo Loop with us. Largo Loop. He says, I've listened to the show the past several weeks. Even though I'm a noob as far as NJPW, the enthusiasm you and Josh have for, the, for their product is infectious, so I want to get more into it, but I feel intimidated by the sheer size of history involved NJPW and its effects on matches and storylines. I liken it to someone being caught up in the hype for Endgame recently and not knowing anything about Marvel. Where would you, you suggest someone like me start? Is there any homework I need to do, like a list of must-watch matches or fuse? Or would you suggest just getting a sub to their app and jumping right in? That is a very loaded question and a great question. Um, Jeremy, what, what are your takes first, first and uh, foremost? Being, being that, you're, you know, that your knowledge of the history of New Japan is a, a little more limited than mine. Yeah, so Dan, you know, I'm kind of uh, was in a similar position with you when I when I started doing this show. You know, I was and and you'd been watching since what? Since like Wrestle Kingdom nine nine. But I was casual though, and I was only hopping in for like I was kind of like on that the James Boyd where I was just hopping in the cherry picker for the you know big matches, big shows. But then when we started doing this show, you know, I was watching every I started watching every Roti show, every pay per view. Um, and honestly, Dan, I think the easiest thing to do, honestly, is just to jump right in. I mean, I could we can give you a list of recommended matches and rivalries and feuds to know. But honestly, I think the best thing for you to do is you know sign up for New Japan World. We got Best of Super Junior tournament coming in. I think that's a great starting point. And you know, right now, Dan, there's a lot of advantages for people watching New Japan now that. I didn't really have at quite at the beginning. I mean, right now, pretty much I would say 95% of all New Japan shows have English commentary. Um, so you have the great work of Kevin Kelly and Rocky Romero, sometimes uh, Don Callis, sometimes Chris Charlton, who are giving the stories and guiding you on what's going on. Um, you have the post-match promos that they upload to their English YouTube channels that have the English subtitles, and they usually kind of let you know what's going on, and you can kind of pick up on characters and rivalries from there. Plus, there's a lot of great new English content they're putting out, like the recount and the wire that kind of gives you the history on factions and wrestlers and rivalries. Um, They're doing a lot of stuff on their English Twitter as well. Um, So there's just a lot of great ways for English fans to kind of jump in and get involved. And, of course, you have the ace of podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style, that's going to preview, review, break down, and, you know, give you the backstories and um, review. So, you know, Josh is very knowledgeable on the history of New Japan and, you know, very lucky to have him to co-host for that aspect. So we're going to give you history here and reviews and previews and help, you know, guide people. One thing I think that helps people is um, watching the big shows. Um, as far as a jumping in point, I think that if you're new to the product and you're just trying to get started, 
There's nothing wrong with just jumping in right where we're at right now. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you're like, I'd like to get a little bit more of a back history on some of this stuff, then it might not be a bad idea to start at this past year's Wrestle Kingdom. You don't have to watch every Road to show and you don't have to watch every minor level show. Maybe just watch the big shows. Maybe just watch the new beginnings and maybe just watch, you know, um, Don Taku and the MSG shows until you get more acclimated. Um, this company definitely rewards you. Um, we've talked about it before by dropping breadcrumbs and giving you storytelling elements on these Road 2 shows and that sort of thing. But it's not required viewing. You don't have to watch every single episode or every single show. And if you do, maybe in the beginning, just look at the reviews of different people out there, whether it's Voices of Wrestling or Dave Meltzer or uh, uh, Larry Kasanka on 411 Wrestling or looking at Grapple App or Cage Match. These are all fantastic resources to let you know what matches are good. And just watching the title matches on these Road 2 shows, like the bigger, more established matches, um, that's one way of viewing things, you know, just kind of cherry-picking. Um but another thing is, like Jeremy mentioned, there's a lot of resources on the internet. Um, one thing that's great is the commentary does a fantastic job giving you some of the history and the backstories. The The histories that maybe you're not as familiar with are usually alluded to in the backstage promos and brought up so that even if you don't know what they're... T- like, for instance, you don't have to have seen Liger and um, Suzuki's you know, match from um, Pancrase... All you have to do is be watching, listening to what Kevin Kelly has to say and and kind of follow along that way. Also, Chris Charlton online is a great um, – him, Striga, Mr. Lariato. Um, these are all fantastic contributors on the online community who offer a lot of insight to things that are going on in the storyline's current day. And if you really want to like get caught up. A lot of the Western fans started at Wrestle Kingdom 9, and maybe it's not a bad idea at some point, if you have the time. I don't know what your schedule's like, but if you want to just jump in, just go back and watch the big shows and start from a starting point like Wrestle Kingdom 9 or Wrestle Kingdom 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's not required for you to enjoy this. It's not like Endgame, even though that's a good analogy, and I don't totally disagree with you. They don't make it impossible for you to access what is going on in the modern sense. Now, what will help you a lot more is reading up on the differences in New Japan Pro Wrestling, the rule sets, the booking, the logic. There are um, guides to people getting started with New Japan online, so you don't have to know the whole history of the promotion or the history of the wrestlers, but maybe it's not a bad idea to, to understand why there's factions and understand Wow, some of the nuances of the rule sets and and things like that. That's mm-hmm. more beneficial, I think, than understanding all the the intricate histories. Yeah, and one last uh, resource too, you should probably check out our friends over at VoicesOfWrestling.com. They always do a New Japan Pro Wrestling um, year end ebook. Probably uh, grab the 2018 version. They have profiles on all the wrestlers. They have write ups on the rivalries and big matches. Um, so go ahead and check that out. Also, you can always hit us up at kistrongstyle.com. If you have questions, we would be happy to answer them. If Jeremy doesn't know, he'll hit me up, and then I'll just tell him what to say, and then we'll we'll send it out, and then Jeremy can take the credit and look smart. <laughs> one, one last thing. Even though some of his videos, he hasn't put out a, a video in a long time, 
You can't find them on Vimeo or on YouTube anymore, but if you go to dailymotion.com, um, the videos of Showbuckle, if you look up the Showbuckle videos, he put out amazing content that gives a lot of awesome insight to some of the more recent storylines in the past few years and the Young Lion system and you know the, the shooting style of New Japan, stuff like that. And I think that that is invaluable and very well worthwhile going to check out. So I highly recommend that. Next question from Reddit user Jesus Las Vegas. He says, I feel like we're about three years away from a massive New Japan roster overhaul where a number of guys simply won't be able to compete anymore. Tenzan, Kojima, Nakanishi, Hanma, Tiger Mask, Makabe, Nagata, etc. Where should New Japan look to replenish uh, this talent? These guys sell a lot of tickets. Well, not maybe Tiger Mask, he says. <laughs> um, well, I think that they're doing a fantastic job building stars right now and building young lions and signing talent and i'm not at all worried for the day when tenzan and nakanishi can no longer go which is probably not very far off in the near future and i think they have plenty of um you know guys that are you know a generation or two beneath them like makabe and like tanahashi who can kind of step into those roles when the time comes and allow for new stars to be made and to rise up. So um, I think that they've already got the groundwork laid right now for, yeah, I mean, for they, guys. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about, but at what, at some point, Tanahashi is going to be going in that New Japan dad role. Uh, I mean, like you mentioned, Togi Makabe, um, Hiroki Goto at some point. You know, these, these kind of older guys, um, eventually they're all going to get moved to the New Japan dad status, which makes room for young lions to come back from excursion and become top stars, makes room for younger mid-carders like Osprey to move up. So It also would seem very concerning if there was an overnight exodus of all these guys you mentioned, but it's not going to happen that way. It's going to be a slow progression. It's going to be one by one. Uh, you know, the same way we lost Issaka this year and then next year we're losing Liger. These guys are going to slowly step out, and it's going to allow one-by-one one guys to step in. So I'm not worried about it at all, and I think that they, like I said, they have the groundwork already. Yeah. Next question from Reddit user ablue3. He says, I saw some people say that Ayato Yoshida is done with NJPW. Why do you think that is? Well, we hadn't, we didn't talk about this on the show, had we? But we no. had intended to. Yeah. So I think it comes down to two things. And if you have anything to add after this, Jeremy, great. But I think I'll pretty much cover it. Mm -hmm. One thing is that there was a, a sex scandal within um, uh, K-Dojo. K-Dojo. Um, Takamichinoku, who was one of the founder or the founder of K-Dojo and one of the um, top brass over there, um, he had a extramarital affair, which is taken very seriously in Japanese culture, way more so than it is here. He did step down as um, holding his position with them, and he's no longer with that company, which since that time, we haven't seen any sort of uh, Lionsgate project shows, which relied heavily on K-Dojo talent. Mm -hmm. We also haven't seen uh, Yato Yoshida since, when was the last time he was here? Like, the New Beginning tour? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Now, that's one thing that that might have weakened their relationship since he left them and is now still working with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, but the other thing, too, is that Ayato Yoshida's time in New Japan Pro Wrestling might have been treated exclusively like an excursion. Because from what I read and what I understand, he is now a top champion 
in K-Dojo. And it might not be that they have a bad relationship. It might be that they don't want their top champion coming over as a young lion and jobbing to stars, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much the, the things I've heard as well. So, yeah, nailed on that one. Uh, next question comes from Reddit user Guilty Watts. He says, I know it's early, but who are your top picks for the G1? I feel like a lot of people want Naito to win and go back to Wrestle Kingdom, but after Dontaku, is it reasonably to say that Sonata or even someone from AEW, more than likely Omega, could be a contender? Uh, well, my top picks off the top of my head would have to be Omega. I'm sorry. <laughs> Disregard that. Um, Naito, Abushi. Um, those are my top two right off the bat. Um, B Jay White is a potential contender. You could hypothetically say an Omega, but I don't think it would make a lot of logical sense unless they really like are looking to do big business based off the fact that Omega wins. But he's not a New Japan guy anymore, so it's very unlikely, honestly. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, if they're bringing Omega in, it's going to be for a one-off kind of thing like they're doing with Jericho. I could see him go to the finals, though, and lose. Yeah. Uh, but pretty much the same three favorites that you have, um, Naito, Okada, Jay White, are kind of the three guys that I could see uh, winning it this year. Or excuse me, Naito, Ibushi, and Jay White. Uh, one other guy, and it's not actually, it's not that likely, but one other guy I could think of potentially, maybe, Zack Sabre? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. He would be, yeah, he would, I would slot him at four. And if you really wanted to make a guy, you could do Will Ospreay. But I don't think they're going to do that this yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's who we're thinking right now, Guilty Watts. Uh, next question from Reddit user is Zach Saber Time. He says he's been listening to Chris Charlton's book. He mentioned a financial scandal under Inoki in the 80s that led to the formation of the UWF. Can't really find much on this. Any clue what the financial scandal is? I'm a good 30 years late to this. Young boy, the floor is yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, basically, this is what was happening then. And this is a great question, and I'm glad that you asked it because I love shoot-style wrestling, and I love the UWF, especially those early years when it was still hybrid pro wrestling, and they didn't necessarily know – like shoot-style hadn't totally been fleshed out yet. So you would see like shoot-style wrestling, but then guys were still hitting pile drivers and – and tombstones and coming off the top rope uh, occasionally. So it was a very strange time, but it was really great wrestling. Um, basically what happened with Inoki in the 80s is this. Inoki had uh, another business um, in Brazil. Um, it was some sort of oil or gas. I think it was like puroethanol or something like that. And his business over in Brazil was failing. It was not doing well. And so him and the president, I think it was Shinma, I could you would have to look that up. I, I might be saying that wrong, but I believe it was Shinma. They were both partners in this uh, business over in Brazil, and they were embezzling lots and lots and lots of money from New Japan Pro Wrestling to try and finance and help make up the losses. Um, they're basically committing fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I know he's had a lot of financial. Um, scandals over the years. This would not be his first or his last. Um, but it be it became public knowledge what was happening. Somehow the board of trustees found out what was taking place. 
and it caused a huge rift. Plus, there was a lot of political um, changes taking place within New, uh, New Japan at the time. And, you know, a lot of the wrestlers left. Um, Tiger Mask, who was one of the biggest international stars that they had, had left just a year prior. This is in 84. Um, Tiger Mask had left in 83. And they left to go form the UWF. And guys like Takata were there. And um, Akira Maeda had to go there after he uh, shoot kicked Ricky Choshu in the face and broke his orbital bone because he didn't feel like he was getting pushed enough. And... Um, yeah, a lot of this was uh, built off the back of the the scandal that was taking place with Inoki. Um, and they actually ended up taking their TV spot with TV Asai at the time because TV Asai didn't want to be associated with the scandal that was very public knowledge at the time. So that's pretty much what happened. But, um, I mean, it wouldn't last long. UWF was successful in the beginning, but they had their own fair share of political issues and... Um, you know, issues with wrestlers and it, it ended up being a quite a mess. And in 86, all those guys ended up coming back anyways, for the most part. So mm. really, really interesting stuff to look into. I highly, if you're a pure Rezu fan and history fan, I really recommend looking into it. Uh, next question from Reddit user 141 bite. He says, assuming a scenario in which ROH is out of the picture and each option is highly interested in New Japan, which partner would you prefer, NXT or AEW? A few weeks ago, it wouldn't have been a question to me, but the reverence shown for Kushida and his accomplishments in NXT have been impressive. NJPW does have a history of working for WWF back in the day, potentially relevant or potentially outdated link since it's from January 2018. He sends a What Culture link um, titled NJPW Wants a WWE Relationship. Um, I looked at that article. Um, it was from last year, and I think it was We just, talked about that. Yeah. Um, but kind of back to his question, what would I prefer, NXT or AEW? Uh, in, in today's wrestling climate, I, I do have a hard time picturing uh, WWE wanting to work with New Japan or New Japan doing something with WWE. So seeing them part do something with NXT would be kind of weird. I think there's more likelihood that something would happen with AEW. And I think that would be best for the wrestling business is for New Japan to kind of work with AEW and not really work with WWE and NXT. To be clear here, when New Japan Pro Wrestling had a working relationship with WWF at the time and the and also WWWF, it wasn't Vince McMahon Jr.'s Pro Wrestling or Sports <laughs> Entertainment. It was Vince Sr. They weren't working with Junior. I mean, eventually Junior took over, but when Junior took over, that relationship was very short-lived. It ended in like 85, basically, right after Hulkamania took over. So, and you know, it's because he went national. Prior to that, their relationship was based off the fact that they were both territories of the NWA. A lot of people don't know this, but... WWF was a member and a territory of the NWA. They don't like to talk about that <laughs> yeah. in their uh, in their history in their yeah. histories, but that is what it was. And yeah, they were partners. Um, and I think the last time I can ever remember them working together was in 1990. Did you catch that? We got mosquitoes flying around the, in the dojo. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they did a big super show in 1990, and then WWF ended up working with uh, Super World of Sport, Money Pro. 
um, in the mid '90s, and then they never really worked again together, other than Hogan having a couple stints in the mid '90s, and you know, I guess Liger came over and was allowed to work that NXT show with them. But it would be so cool to see them work with NXT just because of the talent that's there. But a couple things I have problems with that. One, technically speaking, it's the minor leagues of WWE. So you've got the second biggest company in the world working exclusively with their developmental brand. That's not really a good look, even though it would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's not feasible because NXT is not its own entity. It's WWE. So you're talking about New Japan working with WWE, period. Um, it's just not feasible. It just wouldn't happen. And I know you probably know that, um, one, 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 four, one bite and most people listening. Um, but it's just not realistic. And if it did, I don't know how that would even work out. Um, unless like we're in an era where it's triple H's WWE and things like this are allowed to happen. Who knows? Yeah. With AEW though, I mean, the scenarios that are possible there, just the idea of them being able to work with AAA and working with Dragon Gate and, um, OWE and all these different companies, that's very appealing to me. Plus, if the TV deal that AEW is going to get really comes to fruition, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Plus, all the talent that's there, like I think, and the freedom and the booking. Yeah, I think I would much rather prefer them work with AEW. Yeah, you know, he kind of mentioned Kashida's success so far in NXT, and I, again, you know, NXT is one of those situations where you mentioned it, it, NXT is Triple H's baby. And Triple H, you know, is not afraid to recognize wrestling around the world. And he's using Kushida's accomplishments to help get him over. Yeah. Um, so next question from Dom Homie 101 He says, how would much of an impact would a current top NJPW star jumping ship to another Japanese company have on the business in Japan? It depends on who the star is. Um, I, I think that we both know, and we've talked about it on the show many times, that New Japan Pro Wrestling has great booking, and they have great star making, and they have experienced several exoduses now at this point, and continue to grow, and continue to be successful, and continue to build up guys. So if somebody left, I wouldn't be too worried about it. However, with that being said, it does seem to be that we're at a precarious point right now. I don't think they're out of the woods yet from this past exodus of all the elite guys leaving. They're kind of just holding on. Not to say that business is in any way, you know, uh, deterred, but in terms of their lineup of stars, they've done a great job elevating Jay White and Osprey and guys like that. But I don't think they're as strong storyline-wise and character-wise as they have been in previous years. They're just kind of starting to revamp and rebuild right now. At this point, right now, if, if a big star left, like an Okada, or a Tanahashi, or a Naito it would be detrimental. I think they would survive it, and I think they could recoup, but it'd be, it'd rough. be, a, it'd be a big deal right it'd now. It'd be a rough year. I think you know, all those big houses they're trying to draw this year, mm-hmm. that would take a huge blow. It'd be a much bigger deal than when Omega left. It would be a big deal. Or if Ibushi left. Yeah. Oof. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, interesting question there, uh, Don Homie. Um, our last question comes from our Twitter follower, uh, KingDW510 at Twitter ain't shit on Twitter. He says, Do you, did you guys see the interview where Billy Gunn said his son is going to NJPW? I assume it's for the dojo, but haven't heard much else on it. Yeah, I did see that, um, and I think that's interesting, and that could be something cool. 
Um, I think we talked about it. I think the, we talked about it in the news. Yeah, I think that kind of came out. Didn't that come out like after All In when he was in the Battle Royal? It was a little while ago. I can't remember oh. exactly. But, um, yeah, I haven't heard anything more about it. I don't know if he's going to be going to the L.A. Dojo or to Japan. But I haven't heard much on it either. But I did hear that. That's yeah. my answer. Yeah, and we'll keep posted up if we hear anything else. I haven't seen anything in the Observer or any, you know, credible source about that. So any update on that. So, yeah, we'll keep you updated if we hear anything else. But, yeah, it's either going to be LA Dojo or the actual Japan Dojo. So we'll see what happens there, um, which would be quite interesting considering Billy Gunn's in AEW now. You would think he would want him to go to AEW's training, whatever they're going well, to maybe, do. Maybe he will be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that was a, a little while ago. I mean, things have changed. I don't know. Yeah. All right, so that wraps it up with the questions. And we only have some few news items here because a lot of the news stuff, stuff related happened at Dontaku. Uh, really quickly, Gorillas of Destiny, they have been added to the Southern Showdown Tour in Australia. Uh, ticket went on sale for those Australia shows that are happening June 29th in Melbourne and June 30th in Sydney. The Melbourne Shore is set to be a major show. Um, the only thing that's being reported is from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that Melbourne sold out of all the good tickets and 60% of the building, which would be between 2,000 and uh, 2,300 in the first minute, but wasn't sold out after a few days. They are expecting it to sell out. The Sydney is in a 2,200-seat building and sold more than 1,000 tickets at first, and they're hoping for that to do um, well also. And then uh, G1 Climax in Dallas, they're still hoping for tickets to go well on that. And one half of Killer Elite Squad, Lance Archer, has been on the ground in Dallas uh, promoting the show locally, getting without tickets and uh, kind of spreading the word about uh, the G1 Climax coming to Dallas. I heard he was spitting water all over the fans to promote for the show, <laughs> is what I heard. Which isn't a great <laughs> practice, if you ask me. No, um, yeah, I heard something about this. Where, where are people seeing this? Is it just like on his Twitter? Yeah, I, I saw it on his Twitter, um, him kind of going out, and he said, you know, hit up his DMs to anybody who wants to contact him and help him get the word out about um, G1 Climax in Dallas. Um, plus, I've heard, I've seen other sources kind of mention some of the stuff Lance has been doing to try and help um, increase the ticket sales in Dallas. Well, congratulate, or, or you know, that's awesome. Uh, hats off to Lance Archer. Um, you know, pretty cool to hear that. That's a guy who wasn't even featured on the MSG show, and he's out there trying to better the company. And you know, that's that's a pretty cool thing. So. Yeah, a guy who could potentially not even be in the G one tournament. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Shout out to Lance on that. Hopefully he's getting to cut them tickets. <laughs> yeah. Pay this man. Uh, yeah, so that's going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for all the questions this week. We had a ton of questions. Thank you for all the new question, uh, all, you know, all the new people that are interacting with us. Uh, we want to see this thing continue to grow. Uh, you know, rate us. Please review us. I know you're hearing us on the airwaves, and many of you hear us say it every week. Please just do it because it really actually does help us. We want to. Yeah, we want to grow this. Especially thing. if you're using Apple Podcasts uh, for your listening to your podcast, hit us that five star rating and review on there. That really helps the uh, algorithm. Helps our podcast network get shown to more people. We need snowflakes. Yes, five snow. If there were six, I would tell you to go six, but there's only five. So. 
Give us that five star review. Help Six us. Six stars from the get go, boy. <laughs> Help us uh, get more over than we already are. So next week we'll be back with our preview of the Best of Super Junior Tournament, and we'll cover any news that breaks out in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at ki strong style. You can also follow us at social suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash social suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can also email me, jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Tuesdays, of course, you can find us keeping it strong style. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Thursdays, sometimes Fridays, we have NXT, then, now, and forever, hosted by James Boyd. And then on Saturday, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy, and Floyd's band of elite uh, crew that he's building together on that show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review. We will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.